Welcome to uh, episode 19 of Rendezvous. So, Rendezvous 19, COVID and consciousness. So, um, uh, today I want to talk about COVID, but um, I mean, one thing I've noticed about the whole COVID, there was a huge historical situation, right? For sure, like very paradigm shifting in many ways. Some of them temporary, some of them uh, probably permanent, right? Um, and I, one thing I noticed is that it was very divisive, right? A lot of it, like um, people's narratives, their stories about what was happening uh, began to diverge um, and splinter, right? And you have, by this point, there's like 100 different versions of what actually happened um, and is happening. And so... And that can cause a lot of problems when you've got divided stories. You can't even agree on what's real, you know. If you both agree, you know, this is an orange, do it, is it nice, is it tasty or not? That's pretty simple, you know. You can just agree, oh, all right. But if you're like, there is no orange, look, just there. That's not an orange. That's, you know, a hologram. Then you get into the weeds, right? So what I hope to do today is uh, kind of just... So it's COVID, talking about the whole COVID situation, but um, and consciousness. So kind of basically I want to um, set side by side the different angles, the different aspects of the situation, um, personal, collective, different, you know, good and bad, things that have happened and changed, um, but also uh, to kind of um, especially like the sides where people disagree on something just to set those side by side so that we can have them both in consciousness. Because I think there's a great benefit. Even if um, you don't agree with the other thing, it's only to our benefit to be aware of it, right? And um, and uh, a lot of problems seem to happen when people aren't really aware of what the other side is thinking. That um, They might get like a 30% of their thing that's most um, obvious or most annoying and go, oh, they think that but then they're not aware of this other stuff which they might actually agree with or might explain at least why they have that other 30% which you seem don't agree with. So yeah, so that's basically it. Just going through the whole COVID situation and setting the side by side because I've thought about it quite a bit um, and uh, a dirty habit thinking, I know. Uh, but uh, And yeah, so I, uh, I've noticed a bunch of situations where it's like, oh, it's interesting, like, this side of there's a uh, disagreement, and this side seems to think this, whereas this side seems to think this. But I'm not sure if they've really got enough empathy to notice what's going on. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's the game. That's what we're gonna do. Um, so let's see. Uh, always good to be in with a, a sip of water. I just had one before, but ah, uh, must be all this talking. Cool. <clears throat> so, um. I guess uh, <laughs> for anyone who might be listening uh, 200 years from now, let's lay it out real clear. So the basic situation, a pandemic of this virus, COVID-19, coronavirus, coronavirus, which was discovered in 2019, so COVID-19. Um, I think SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus, and then COVID-19 is the disease. I think that's the technical distinction or whatever. And, you know, it's not the first coronavirus. The The, the flu is a type of coronavirus. Um, well, I think the flu is actually two. There's a, one that's like a rhinovirus and then the other's coronavirus. Or is that the common cold? Either way. Um, but th this is, I think, the seventh 
um, uh, Corona Powerful Seven. Oh, but it's so dark this time. Normally it's so beautiful, you know. Seven seas, uh, seven dwarfs, seven uh, rings for the dwarven kings. Um, anyway, so uh, there's many other coronaviruses before. Um, and But this one, yep, um, came from Wuhan, China, and spread around the world. And um, governments were like, oh, God, how can we control this? And so they kind of copied China, China's approach, which is very kind of heavy-handed, like just shut everything down, prevent people from meeting each other or going outside much or, that kind of, or you know, going, they were kept to a specific radius around their home. Basically, I think every country has done this now. Um, and, uh, yep, and then over time, you know, and they brought in other measures, like, you know, things like you have to wear a mask in public or on public transportation um, or, uh, you know, you can't go within two metres of each other. Um you know, there's no school for kids and things. A lot of things were done online, like work or um, everything except for, quote-unquote, like uh, essential businesses, um, like, you know, supermarkets or, you know, doctors or whatever, um, were allowed to be open. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of it was done online, including, like, medical care, like talking to your doctor, right? Um, then that uh, eventually these uh, vaccines were brought in very quickly. Normally it would take 10 to 15 years to make a vaccine, but these were done in one year. And then uh, they were distributed to those who wanted them. Uh, they were encouraged a lot. Some people say too much encouraged. They might say bullied, you know, pressured, or um, there's things where some people weren't allowed to work. They didn't have it. Um, but uh, so that's one of the topics we'll talk about, you know, the two sides to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then eventually, uh, the, you know, the, the number of uh, cases and, death seemed to drop and it seemed to kind of be uh, on its way out or potentially because a lot of the, the most vulnerable people had already died. People who were going to die from it had already kind of died. Um, so it kind of burnt itself out more or less. Still still here as we speak now. People are still getting sick and dying from COVID, uh, but nowhere near as many. Um, so that's the overall arc to any, you know, Martians who are listening in or, you know, humans from a billion years in the future. Um if we haven't been swallowed by some sort of giant space lizard or anything. Okay, so um, so let's start with something kind of positive, right? Uh, some benefits to this thing. I think one of the huge benefits that was very clear immediately or in the kind of first few months of the kind of um, COVID era was the, the benefit of just slowing down and just being with yourself. Well, there's a few things. There's being with yourself and actually kind of like, a lot of people couldn't have social connection, so they were forced to turn inward and go. They might go, "Oh my God, I don't really like myself, or I like aspects of myself, or Oh my God, um, I was I th I was thinking, you know, I was uncomfortable or unhappy because of this jerk or that bitch or whatever. These people causing me problems, um, or like situations, you know, my my boss, my work, or my uh, family, you know, or this or that. But then uh, I realized, like, it's all on my own, and I still wasn't happy oh my god so it's an invitation to find out why because it's like ah oh. so oh and then maybe oh it's just maybe i'm just you know um something about me and me my relationship with myself that needs to work on so that was an invitation for people to go deeper and that was all good um what else uh and uh yeah and just the time thing of we're all so busy running around you know like manhattan business executives or something just uh you know 
squeezing life for every little juicy drop of action. And so it was all doing, doing, doing. And then now there was this opportunity slash requirement, uh, mandatory being, you know, we had to just be, and just, oh. you know, so you could just go on Netflix all the time if you wanted, but it was a lot easier uh, to get bored of that or to get interested in kind of this thing of just kind of being, going back to something which I think is very healthy and necessary, which is just being in the moment and um, finding that actually we're addicted to past and future. Like we're addicted to thinking. This is the whole idea of spirituality, a, a big part of it anyway. Kind of be a bit more the angle that Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, uh, Tolle takes, uh, focusing kind of on like the key to spiritual liberation to reach the next level of your mind where you really find out who you really are, which brings with it the lovely bonus of incredible peace. All your problems disappear. The situations stay, but you won't see it as a problem. So there's this shift that can occur to incredible peace, which is usually what people like, oh, the peace, but actually the other, there's other sides to it, like, you know, oneness. You, you feel that you're actually one with everyone else um, and you feel like there are, you know, whatever, there's many aspects to it. But um, a large part of it, yeah, is like living in the moment and just realizing that all you really need to do is accept the present moment fully, this moment, whether it's good or bad, quote unquote, in your mind, just accept it. And so this is something which the COVID kind of era allowed to kind of come to the forefront a bit. So it really was, I think, an opportunity for us to develop our consciousness. Um, and the whole thing has been that, I think, um, in many ways. That would be, I think, the, the best way to characterize it. Like, ultimately, there's so many ways to describe it, and there are a lot of them, you know, are fair. Like, yeah, that's a fair way to characterize what's going on. That's one story. You're kind of dot to dot. There's many dots in the picture. You can line up different dots to create different pictures, you know. Um, and, you know, many there's many possible pictures to make. I'd say the the most fundamental or the most real or the most relevant, um, the ultimate picture is like this thing. Basically, we have been in school and um, we've been learning, you know. So um, growing as souls or as beings, you know, people. So, uh, yep, so that was good. Um, and, I, and a lot of people mention that, you know, like in that time, like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. You know, just slowing down, just spending time with the family, just – kicking back, reading a book, you know, like I was I'm so glad, like, oh my God, what were we doing before, you know? So that was good. Um, all right. Uh, then, but of course, um, that went on for a while and over time it started to get a bit, bit unhealthy perhaps uh, where you had uh, people who weren't able to see each other so much and so you had, Apart from the thing of like people weren't able to see, you know, funerals and have funerals and weddings, normal life events, and that's you don't get that back, you know. It's like, oh, we had our wedding and no one else, no one was able to be there. Are we going to do it next? We have a wedding party next year and everyone comes. That's not going to feel good, right? So it's just these people had to do, deal with that, you know. Um, the, and funerals, you know, there's so many people who they couldn't go to funerals of loved ones, um, or they couldn't be there for the birth of their child, you know. Um, because of these law, uh, you know, regulations of like, oh no, you know, for the danger of spreading COVID, which, you know, um, but meanwhile, the other side of that, what, what, you know, some, so some people say, yeah, but one, okay, let's just do both sides, right? One side says yes, but that was required to stop the spread of the virus, to slow the spread of the virus. You know, we had to do all these things which are uncomfortable, but um, it was to overall, you know, have the 
a benefit overall because we're not going to overwhelm the hospitals with too many cases. And um, if that happened, then it's like having too many dishes in your sink. Eventually, you know, it just gets less and less efficient because you've got no space to dry things. Whereas if you've only got a few, you can your the speed with which you can dispense, you know, with those dishes is much much faster. You know, so um, kind of this idea of like cluttering up the hospitals so that we have to be very careful to keep this under control because then it would spiral out of control. We wouldn't be able to get back. You know, that was the idea. Um, and so they say, yeah, you know, it's very there's a lot of tragedy, but the greater tragedy would be if the hospitals got overwhelmed, the virus spread everywhere, and all these people get wiped out by it, like the plague. Um, the other side of it is people say, well, actually, COVID um, wasn't as deadly as we thought, which is true. Um, the death rate, well, the survival rate of COVID, if you get infected, is 99.96%, I believe, something like that. Um, so it's less than 1%. Um, I, I think it's, like, yeah, I think 99.96, I think, something like that. Um, and that was entered into the um, Hansard record at, the British Parliament, this is, you know, talk about a, a trustworthy authority, you know, they was entered into that record as like, it was a question like, what is the death, the survival rate? And they were, you know, said, okay, this is it, you know. And so um, there you go. That's what it is as best as they understood at that point, um, which is far, far lower than we originally thought. Um, and that's actually um, very similar to the death rate of the flu, um, which, you know, not, we never shut down civilization for before. Um, or kept people away from each other, etc. Um, it's like if you're sick, you stay home. If you're you've got no symptoms, go live. You know, work, contribute to society, help you know, be with your friends. Um, so this is the first time in history where a quote unquote um, quarantine was uh, quarantining healthy people. That's never happened until COVID. Um, so now. Uh, so people, yeah, this other side of that argument about like funerals, weddings, etc. People would say uh, it wasn't that deadly. So we, you know we should have maybe stopped this policy pretty as soon as we realised that, which was early in 2020, first half of 2020. This definitely mid 2020. This was known, um, but uh, people were t trying to they were shouting it. Hey, hey, hey! We need to turn the ship. This is uh, early in 2020. We didn't know that, you know. But by like I don't know, was it April? Was it? Um, March, April, May, something like that. This was pretty clear. Um, so uh, they say that. And then also that, you know, people were, all the people who were enforcing the rules, the government, especially politicians, you know, and um, bureaucrats, a lot of them have since been caught out that they were breaking the rules to go have wine and cheese parties at Downing Street or going to go see their family, breaking the rules to see their family, but not allowing that to the plebeians, you know, or plebeians, whatever, however you say it, the peasants, you know. Uh, so, like, think about that. How many people didn't get to go to their grandma's funeral or see the birth of their child, but, you know, Boris Johnson got to have his wine and cheese nights every night. Uh, like, that, you know, uh, that's kind of hard to justify, it seems. But again, the whole point of this episode, we're not here to judge. We're just here to lay, try to build our consciousness by laying out this, the opposing sides of divisive issues just so we can have them next to each other just let it just let it sit there you know just kind of marinate we don't need to jump to conclusions you know um and then uh yeah okay so there's that uh where people would say you know yeah and then and just in general not being able to see each other um believe it or not one of the main killers it's um 
I think above even heart disease, one of the, the biggest killers in the world is loneliness. And so social isolation, it's not just, oh, I feel bad and I'm not happy. Oh, no. It, that causes all these physical effects in your body, which then cause illnesses. And so this is 100% proven um, with the scientific method, the thing that which our culture, you know, kind of has built so much upon as a way to be independent and objective and get around the problem of, oh, he says, she says, you know, who's right. Um, you know, the uh, meta-analyses of, so, you know, you take like a, a thousand studies and you make a study of them to, you know, balance out. So they're the most kind of like meta-analyses of studies which themselves are like um, double-blind, placebo-controlled. That's like the, the best you could get, right? Um, and they show like, uh, loneliness is like, I think, what the number two killer of people. And if you think about it, it makes sense because through our evolution, uh, 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 like a, a lone human was a dead human. Like we can't compete with all the animals around there who have all these amazing senses for hunting things down. And um, we're these weak little things. You know, like a, a baby gorilla is like probably stronger than me, you know, like uh yeah, or like the average you know person, whatever. Like a a little gorilla, they're really really strong. So we're not you know. And then um, speed, the animals which are much faster than us, we can run very long distances. And so we would hunt animals to exhaustion. We'd run after them for days. They'd run away and go, okay, it's gone. But we would still have it in sight. And then we'd catch up and it would sprint again. We do that, but but it's sprinting for days and then it's just um it would overheat and die. That's what we used to do. So that's one thing we have like uh, endurance running. We're very good at. But a lot of things, we're not actually very physically capable. It's about working in groups. That's how we have got ourselves to the, the apex predators, the top of the pyramid, is um, we can use speech. Before that, I guess, you know, nonverbal communication or whatever it was. Um, but there was a feedback loop, it seems, uh, whereby, who's the, the guy? Um, some, I think, is he German or something? Or maybe just looked German. Uh, but there's some guy, he's on the Joe Rogan podcast, he was talking about this book he had where... Um, talking about this idea that the brain had, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, um, that the brain uh, had evolved largely because of this feedback loop of information. Of um, So we, the more we could communicate with each other, the more we successful we were at hunting and, um, and not getting hunted. And then um, that in turn got all these more resources, which allowed us to keep building the brain, you know, and so there's kind of something like that. Anyway, so we were always together. And if you, if you were, if you'd, kind of rocked the boat too much you were shunned and you were isolated and even people just not being with you like oh yeah um you hang out there i'm gonna hang out over there with these guys oh but i came just here to sit down with you no no it's okay you, you sit there oh that doesn't feel good right because back in the day that was like almost a death sentence you're like oh jesus if these people abandon me i am absolutely screwed so you'd have to go all right, all right sorry 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 and fall into line um in order not to die. Um, and uh, so there's that, right? And so um, when we are not with other people, it, it turns on those alarm bells, even though nowadays it's not a death sentence to be alone in theory, but it is because our, our bodies don't know that and we get these emotions, you know? Um, and in general, just the connection of the soul with other people, I think is very powerful and not just a physical thing. And, um, you know, the, the being with friends where they draw out, draw out different sides of you, your personality, you know, so they're kind of introducing you to yourself, different aspects. So that's why it's good to have many different kinds of friends, I think, you know, um, and they can draw out different sides of your personality. You do the same to them. 
kind of like the moon, the gravity of the moon pulling the tides. You can't do that to each other's personalities, for, you know, from different angles. So um, we weren't, we were lacking that. So it, apart from the thing of births, marriages, um, and uh, funerals, that kind of thing, these big events or graduations, that kind of stuff, <clears throat> life events, we uh, uh, also just were deprived of that kind of uh, basic um, birthright of social connection, you know. So that's what people would lay on the other side of the thing of like that we were trying to protect people. Um, now, so what else? Uh, yeah, now also, okay, so um, also on that side, <laughs> there is a bit more uh, on that already kind of skewed seesaw. Um, well, how skewed is it? Who knows? Okay, so uh, which is uh, children, child development. So children, they really, um, after... Um, like the developmental, uh, what is it, developmental psychology or um, the study of like how, you know, p people develop in the, their brains and their, you know, their personalities, et cetera. Um, uh, as I understand it, uh, which I got from Jordan Peterson, who I can't remember who he was citing. It wasn't his work. It was someone else. Um, was it, um, what's that guy's name? It sounds kind of French. Uh, uh, the guy who, uh, ah, it'll come to me. Anyway, so the idea is uh, that children, um, after the, at first, of course, their major cognitive development and personal development comes from their family, their mum and dad, um, maybe siblings. But um, but then uh, once they're a few years old, it starts it shifts to friends and uh, other their peers. And so through play, spontaneous kind of interactions and kind of games of many kinds that they create together whether it's imitating adults or like playing, you know, whatever they're doing, cops and robbers or just building, playing with blocks or, you know, drawing, whatever. They're engaging with the unknown and they're engaging with these other beings and there's a lot of chaos in there. And so they're navigating all of those variables together in order to have a good time. And it teaches them so much. And there's facial recognition of like emotions. So it gets your emotional intelligence growing, social skills like, oh, you know, Johnny looks kind of mad. Oh, and then you do nothing and then Johnny, you know, explodes. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then maybe next time Johnny looks mad and you go, am I doing something to cause this? And maybe you notice, oh yeah, I just took his blocks, you know, uh, maybe I should give them back, you know, whatever. There's all these things that we take for granted, but like we didn't just know them already. We learned them through playing with other children, but back before we can even remember now. And we just assumed in our adult wisdom that, oh, they don't need that. That's obvious <laughs> to people who have already done it, you know, um, so uh, children not being able to play seemingly, unfortunately, has delayed the um, developmental process for a whole generation of children. So the best children, you know, best, you know what I mean? But like the, the most, uh, the brightest children, uh, or even whether that's, you know, kind of um, traditional IQ or just, you know, kind of uh, uh, emotional intelligence or social skills, whatever it is, the, the most, um, let's say, um, capable children at you know the in general whatever and there's many different ranges or ways of being capable but they would so i understand it now they're going to be like what you know um maybe some of the 90 percent most capable children were before or something and the the you know i don't need to put numbers to it but you get the idea right like um for some kids this isn't going to be a big deal they'll be able to manage that they're already kind of 
you know, in the more comfortable part of the spectrum. But there's other kids who were kind of, for whatever reason, whether it's family background or nutritional problems or genetic problems or um, whatever it is, uh, abuse at home, and all kinds of different things, um, they were already just hanging on and uh, they would have had a bit of a hard time, even if they were playing with other kids. They've been really hurt by this. Um, and so... This is, this is another cost which wasn't really factored into the equation, um, which potentially some people have um, characterized it as we kind of gave the reins of government to medical experts and that the thing is actually medic um, the medical view of things is not the only relevant view when you're running a society and that, you know, perhaps, for example, um, you might... Uh, have okay this is good for reducing the spread of this disease but then you're not talking to the psychologists you know or you know or you're not talking to the economists who are saying yeah but there's going to collapse the economy and then it's going to be much more death and you know injury you know so for example something like that like that so the idea is that politicians are meant to be um these kind of arbiters between the various experts um and that that wasn't done that um for whatever reason um the kind of keys were handed over to specifically medical experts, and that that kind of um, may have caused some, some of these issues. But which is interesting, though, because you think a lot of these issues are kind of medical themselves, a lot of the problems, like child development and things. But um, you might say um, perhaps it was uh, tunnel vision, like people were just really devoted to this idea of, yeah, we need to stop the spread of this virus because, you know, like, okay, we figured it out. Virus is bad. It's spreading. We can um, probably control it through these things. Okay, that's done now. Next step is not what, but um, how. We keep moving. And then someone's like, I think we need to edit the what thing. You, you're saying we should do these things. But I see problem. No, no, look, we're beyond that. We're now just in implementation. How do we do it right? You know, they may have lost the forest for the trees, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so that's kind of the effects of keeping us all separate, you know. Um, uh, and, well, I mean... It's crazy because I'm trying to give it balance, but there's so much on that one side of us being separate. So, okay, so we will come back to the idea of like, you know, well, so stopping the spread of the disease uh, through, is there anything else to say on that side? Or they would argue that, uh, you know, it was necessary to prevent everyone getting sick and people dying. Um, well... Hmm, maybe the water can teach me something. What do you think? Um, yeah, well... I don't think I can think of anything, right? So I'm trying, you know, at least. But um, also on the other side of keeping people apart with these lockdowns, um, it caused... Uh, okay, so we're going to have to go through a bit of a list, right? Um Massive increases in anxiety, massive increases in depression, in suicide. So I think, you know, the number of deaths from suicide, that, that wasn't being factored into the number of lives being saved through st stopping the spread of the virus. And so, because, you know, that's more of like a social issue in a way. It's not quite technically medical, right? So that's the thing where maybe these expert, we gave the control to doctors and then maybe that wasn't quite being factored into it, you know? Then you have... Um, Massive increases in domestic abuse. So all these men, you know, beating women. 
black and blue, not so nice. Um, uh, child abuse, emotional, sexual, sexual abuse in general, it's gone up a lot. Child trafficking went up. Um, people weren't keeping a track on all the children. There was less connection. Um, uh, and a lot of that with, like, say, child abuse would be, like, kids rock up to school with a black eye and then it raises questions, whereas they weren't rocking up to school. So a lot of this seemingly was facilitated because they were in the shadows. It wasn't, we weren't keeping track of each other. Um, drug abuse skyrocketed. Um, by the way, suicides, I think in California they had gone up um, 1,000% or something like that. It, it had been, the number, I think, had been 30 and then it was 300. Something, something was it 3,000? Can't remember, something... Don't quote me on the number, but something huge, not like a small difference, a huge difference, um, which, you know, because there's a lot of people who were barely hanging on before this thing happened, and then this has just been a significant push of more pressure. I think a lot of people just checked out. They're like, yep, I can't deal with this, you know. Um, so, uh, right, um, both because of the fear of the virus and then also the, the social isolation, the lack of support, you know, um, and, yeah. So, uh, inability to enjoy normal things, you know, um, that we could usually enjoy, balance things out a bit in our heads, you know. Um, drug abuse, yeah, massively skyrocketed. So people addiction to substances, where, you know, which I guess is a, you know some people argue like Dr. Carl Hart kind of argues, and people argue about what what does addiction really mean, or Dr. Gabor Mate, you know, saying it's like trauma, dealing with trauma, or um, Johan Hari saying it's kind of a what would he say? It's like a, a lack of connection to other people and so you're trying to compensate. But it seems like basically addiction would be you're trying to, uh, you're doing something to, to give you um, pleasure or happiness, but it's actually got diminishing rewards and it's um, uh, compromising your greater happiness um, in your life and yet you, you get locked into it even though it's now actually destructive. Um, so whereas if you were able to just be taking heroin all the time, but you can do it. You're a functional businessman. There's actually a bunch of people in Switzerland doing that, actually. Dr. Carl Hart kind of talks about um, how there's clinics where you can get it um, legally there, and um, they just thought they would bring it out of the shadows. And so, But anyway, it's neither here nor there, um, but addiction um, has gone up a lot. Um, what else has gone up? Um, there's a lot of people who should have been getting checked for heart, you know, heart conditions, cancers, all kinds of different health conditions. They weren't getting checked up on, both because the hospitals were too busy and because they were afraid of going to the hospitals because um, what if I get tested and then I have COVID and, oh, God, and I'll get into that thing. Or I'll go there and I'll ca catch COVID because there's a lot of people with COVID in the hospitals um, and the doctors are in contact with them, you know, so people were afraid of that. And so that caused like probably a lot of deaths um, or problems. Uh, you know, maybe not immediately, but like longer term, it stands to reason that that would cause deaths and injuries. Um, unemployment, uh, but a lot of unemployment, and that takes away a sense of purpose that a lot of people will have. A lot of people lost their jobs or were, you know, put on like, you know, temporary leave or whatever. Um, but uh, every, every one, there's some statistic, it's like every 1% increase in um, unemployment causes like thousands of um of extra something like i think tens of thousands of extra deaths um i guess it depends on that was in the U usa i guess it depends on the size of your population so what would that be if it's like forty thousand out of if it says thirty thousand out of like 300 million so what's that um one percent 
So yep, okay. So maybe it's something like every you know every percentage increase in employment causes a consequent percentage increase in um, uh, deaths. Um, which how would that work? Well, it's it's causing all these trickle effects of um, increased drug abuse, in, um, worse nutrition, um, maybe like less social connection, um, depression, anxiety, uh, maybe drug abuse. Or did I mention this? Um, so you know, but um, and psychiatric illness. Uh, I think um, every, so every one percent increase in unemployment causes. I don't know. Again, I don't know where this was, but it was I think three thousand. What was it? No, I can't remember. But like a big. Um, number of increased people going to psychiatric care. So, so this is another effect of the of the lockdowns, and you know, keeping people separate. And so, so one side of it, people say, yeah, look, it was rough, but we did the best we could, you know. And um, you know, we can't be the peanut gallery and criticizing it from the distance. And there's some truth to that. Like, uh, you know, hey, people did what they could do, you know. Um, so, you know, it's yeah, it's uh. It is what it is, and um, so to some extent, you should we should keep our empathy that, like you know, it's not always easy in these cri- in a crisis when you're overworked or whatever. Doctors being so overworked in general, and nurses um, using often using medication to keep themselves awake, um, and then in this situation, it must have been even crazier. And then they're afraid and afraid of bringing it back and giving it to their parents, and you know, so you know, some respect and, and compassion and empathy is definitely in order. Um, so uh, on the other side there, um, so uh, what are we going to say? So the keeping people apart, uh, the unemployment thing created. Uh, so what was that thought? Well, it'll come to me. <laughs> so, so what else do we have? Um, so we kept people apart uh, in these lockdowns. Um, and, yeah, so education, people not getting as educated as they would have been, that being slowed down. Um, then you had, uh, you know, bigger businesses were allowed to stay open. Smaller businesses weren't. You know, bigger businesses were more able to deal with, apart from being able to lobby government and go, hey, come on, don't close us down. We're pals, right? Remember that next election campaign? Maybe we'll help you. Maybe it wouldn't be that, you know, direct but you know there are people who have a lot of money who help politicians get into office and they need money for advertising campaigns and organizing their team paying staffers etc so it's got to be realistic if you know there's some quid pro quo kind of thing going on in the world it's just the nature of life you know at this stage um so um those that would be one probable avenue that was probably happening of lobbying as it normally happens probably also happened in this period um from big companies um, to get beneficial treatment, um, preferential treatment. Uh, and uh, then also uh, just the, the fact that they have more money and resources, so they're more, they would be better able to comply with the regulations. So, okay, yeah, we can spend a bunch of money on this team of lawyers and accountants and whatever to go and, you know, and, you know, whatever um, contractors to go rig constitute our stores, put up all these dividers and stuff and, you know, manage it, whereas small businesses weren't, either for physical space reasons, weren't able to comply or um, just, you know, didn't have the money for that, didn't have the lobbying power. They were shut out of it, right? And so what happened, you may not be aware, but there was an enormous um, 
wealth transfer during the, the pandemic, during the COVID era, from the middle class up to the basically the, the you know upper classes, the um, billionaires especially, in, like Bill Gates's fortune went up like tens of billions. Um, Jeff Bezos, a huge amount. Um, a bunch of these uh, billionaires made huge amounts of money. A lot of the biggest companies made more money than ever. Um, uh, and uh, Amazon made huge amounts of money, right, because people were buying stuff online. Um, tech companies made a lot of money because everyone's at home, got nothing to do but use the, their platforms. Um, the media made a lot of money because uh, people were, um, you know, like watching out of fear or anger later on when people were you know, disagreeing on things or disgust, like, oh, my God, look at all these sick people, um, or sadness, and just like, oh, my God, it's so sad. Look at this terrible thing, you know. There's all these primal emotions which, you know, are designed to kind of take over our brains because it's like, hey, this is important. You need to pay attention, you know. Stop being comfortable. Look, there's a problem. And then the, in the modern age with mass media, it's being like, you know, kind of beamed out every day. Um, so that was kind of, uh, you know, not good for our psychological health at all, apart from the situation, was the media, I think, really had the opportunity to say, look, of course, uh, all right, let's begin with a 15-minute meditation. And people can ignore it if they want. But, you know, you know, uh, from us, thank you for our sponsors at Amazon or Pfizer, right? They're sponsoring the meditation quarter hour. Here we go. So, and then go, all right, that was great, wasn't it? Now, you know, everyone, this is a scary time uh, and there's danger. But... As all the best science informs us, um, and as is only intuitive, um, the, the calmer we can be, the, the stronger we are and better able we are to get out of this situation. So it's a scary situation, and if you stay scared, that makes sense. Fair enough. But we have the ability, and um, maybe we can succeed if we try hard enough, to uh, not uh, let that emotion run out of control, to see the emotion and put it in perspective and go, look, if I choose to just accept this emotion and just be, okay, here it is, accept the situation, here it is, or I can't accept it, okay, accept that I can't accept it, keep outflanking your fear with peace, uh, you, that will be good for your immune system. It will boost your immune system. It will calm you down. So physically, that's going to make your body healthier, less acidic, more alkaline, less inflammation, less oxidative stress, um, more energy, um, and in general, uh, health and vitality. Um, so that's going to slow the spread of the virus. If you get exposed to it, you'll be less likely to get sick and less likely to pass it on and less likely for anyone to be dying. So let's keep in perspective. We're going to show you a bunch of gnarly information, but also let's keep it grounded in peace. That didn't happen, you know? And look, you know, uh, maybe that's not on brand for them. Maybe they wouldn't, you know, be like, oh, that's going to sound too weird. Or, or maybe they're like, oh, we don't want to sound disrespectful. Maybe they're a bit afraid of seeming disrespectful. So they felt they had to be kind of ooh, scaring people. Maybe the government was thinking, look, guys, just kind of keep it a bit scary. We need people to follow the rules. So maybe that was kind of a lack of faith in the people. You know, sometimes, you know, um, quote unquote elites or elitist people or people who are just very good at something. Sometimes they can be a bit disparaging or of other people's ability to know things, especially people... Uh, yeah, I guess on any topic, right? Like uh, when you've got a, an amateur talking about it, there's a temptation for an expert to go, yeah, I don't know if I need to take you too seriously. So perhaps that was happening where, where um, you know, government or media were kind of feeling like we need, to, you know, people, we can't rely on the people to just do the right thing. We need to kind of scare them a bit. 
um, which of course is, you know, ironically, you know, not a good idea at all. And it's actually a flipped, if that was the case, that is a flipped situation where actually they were an accidental confession of their own lack of wisdom on the, or expertise on the topic of health <laughs> and um, its relationship with fear and um, calm. But um, so, uh, so yes, so the media was like, yeah, um, every day, you know, beaming these things out. So that was kind of causing a bit of a problem. Um, for every one person who was helped, I was scared into line. There were so many other people who were scared into getting sick or scared into, um, uh, yeah, um, just con contributing to this culture of fear and darkness, which kind of swept over the land for a while. And like I said, you know, where the science is clear that that's not good for health. That causes more problems than it solves. Um, you can still avoid dangers and do the right thing while not being scared. It's like the reason you don't burn yourself on fire, it's not because you're scared of the fire, it's because you know that it burns you. Uh, maybe the first time it's the fear. The child touches the fire and goes, ow! And then the next time they look at the fire, like, ooh, pretty. Wait a minute. I'm getting a weird feeling. I don't like this fire. What's going on? And then maybe the third time they're like, oh, yeah, that's... Or, or maybe just then, you know, they get, and they go, oh, yeah, that's the thing that burns you. Okay. But, for you know, after the first few times of interacting with something and you've got that, that emotional feedback of, like, you know, the messengers from telling you what's going on, whatever the emotion is, like anger telling you you need to defend something or fear telling you, you know, there's a danger, sadness telling you that, you know, there's something important has been lost or something's not quite right or, um, uh, you know, um, affection telling you that there's something you should connect with or whatever. Uh, you know, after these little messengers, uh, in general, it's your, your consciousness, it's your awareness, your understanding, which causes you to do things. You know, it's not, so yeah, so I think we, all we needed really was the information and education and p people would have done the right thing, you know? And um, yeah, so, and uh, yeah, not also all that fear contributed to more drinking, alcohol abuse, perhaps, you know, <laughs> probably like, you know, domestic violence and all kinds of arguments and bad, you know, divorces, so many divorces, right? Um, and separations um, because people were on edge because there's this ooh, tension just being built up and reinforced, you know? Um, so, but apart from that, I was going to make another point, right? So, the the media doing that um, every day, what was I going to say? Um, so, uh, oh yeah, so making money. So, <laughs> they are uh, having people paying, with eyeballs paying attention to, t you know, the TV or the radio or the internet or whatever, so much. Um, newspapers, you know, their businesses, and they were... They've been going kind of their business model has been declining with the rise of the internet. So you know they've had to um, over the last few decades the uh, media outlets have been laying off their foreign news desks, their investigative reporting desks. They've been downsizing. Um, some people would say to the more kind of clickbaity or you know primal emotion you know driven um, articles. Um, but on the other side, I'm sure like they, they're still trying to do the best job they can do. But that's one criticism people have leveled that like it seems like it's become a bit less lofty in this kind of survival, you know, famine mentality kind of situation where they're actually in trouble. These, you know, old lofty institutions are having trouble making money. And so uh, most of their money now comes from advertising, not from selling things, but from advertising, not from selling papers or whatever. It's like, OK, we give it free, but advertising is where we get our money. 
you know, um, or we sell it for like a little bit, but advertising, we get our money, especially you know, TV, you know. Um, and uh, they had people paying attention more, so they got more money from advertisers. Like, oh, yeah, okay, 10 times as many people are paying attention to TV. All right, we'll give you 10 times as much money. Fair enough. But 10 times more people are likely to, so as a matter of scale, you know, are likely to see the ad. If there's a tenth of that watching, hey, it's not worth it for us to give you that much money. So they were making bank off this, you know. Um, so that's kind of a bit of a conflict of interest, unfortunately, where it's encouraged to keep up those eyeballs. And if you told people, hey, yeah, um, it's all going to be okay. We're going to do it. We're going to keep you up to date and everything, but just keep that sense of calm in the background. Fewer people would have been paying attention to TV, most likely. They'd be tuning in less often, you know. Um, so that was one problem. And, you know, you can't blame that necessarily on the individuals. I think... It's kind of both. Like one side would say, look, in, we're, we're all responsible. Nuremberg, tri you know, the Nuremberg trials established the precedent. Like I'm, I was just following orders or, you know, it's bigger than me. That's not an excuse. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And you need, it's your, your honor bound and ethically and legally bound to take a stand um, if it's crossing a line. Now, this isn't maybe as intense as like, you know, killing people or whatever. But in a way, I mean, it does contribute to death. But nonetheless... Um, so some people would say that, you know, like these people are responsible. They should have said, okay, I'm quitting. I'm resigning in protest. And then maybe another person would resign. And then the management would go, oh, okay, 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 pull it in, pull it in. People are starting to resign. Maybe they could have taken a sta an honorable stand there. But then other people would say, look, it's not their, you know, uh, responsibility or their fault. It's just a human tendency through evolution, you know, um, to try to, you know, take care of your ba bottom line. And, you know, this is terror, this terror of, like, losing control of our lives, you know. And um, so the institutions losing, you know, going bankrupt, you know, it's a big, must have been very terrifying for a long time. And this presented an opportunity to kind of deal with that and at the same time feel like they were contributing to the public good, which is what they probably the reason they entered. Um, one of the reasons you'd think they entered that line of work, um, apart from being a public personality. Maybe that was interesting or fun for them. But... Um, so, but nonetheless, so these money being made in the media, big tech, all these places, um, small businesses getting crushed. <laughs> um, so that was part of the, the, the lockdown, right? And Johns Hopkins, so all of this, when you look, put it all together, it um, paints a picture of, and then, okay, also ecological damage, right? Um, people getting takeaway coffees um, and, you know, takeaway this and that and takeaway boxes from Amazon like, you know, things delivered. So much waste was being generated from this. So that was also, we, we talked the talk about caring about Mother Nature, but, you know, when it came down to, like, there's this fear-based, seemingly a fear-based response to um, uh, the, you know, this thing of locking it all down, even though it seems like on balance, um, and Johns Hopkins University did a, a huge study of this recently-ish, and they said, yes, actually, the lockdowns cause more harm than good. Um, uh, you know, for all the lives they sa saved or whatever, they took more lives and in more injuries and these other things. I believe that's what they said. Um, uh, but something like this, right? Basically, you know, they, they didn't work. It was a bad idea. Shouldn't have done it. Um, and uh, so, so it seems like, you know, we cause all this, you know, all this uh, trash, putting all this trash out unnecessarily as well. Um, uh, just, you know, because we're kind of, feeling like afraid, I guess, you know, trying to protect ourselves. So 
But I guess it's understandable in a way, right? We're not perfect. We're only human. <laughs> We're only humanity. Um, so, um, yeah, and so the, the lockdowns, um, they, they cause this, uh, all these, these health problems. So, uh, and yeah, so economically also, um, to maintain them economically, uh, we had to go into en enormous amounts of debt. The government, the government was, you know, to do this, there's a lot, a lot of people who have just been starving. They would have started protesting going, look, we're not doing this. Hypothetically, we're helping people apparently. We're, we're starving. We're not, we're not going along with this. That would have happened. So, uh, the government paid people. It was like, okay, we're going to, you know, give you support, right? Social welfare, just to keep everyone afloat while we're doing this for like two years. Um, that uh, caused us to go, all these countries to go way, way, way deeper into debt. The whole world was already so much in debt. We were already like, all like at the point where you know, professionals like you know, economists, um, independent ones who aren't working for these governments and have a vested interest in keeping their job and kind of maybe being a bit more generous to their, you know, side of the story. We're saying like, look, uh, we might not be able to get out of this. Like. This we might have to go bankrupt. Some of these Western advanced Western economies have gone so much into debt that it's kind of like some really rich business executive who's got ten maxed out credit cards. It's like, it doesn't matter how rich you are. There's limits. Everyone's got limits, and you're flying too close to the sun there, you know. And you could come crashing down. They were saying this about Western economies even, um, and and the, and a lot of people predicted a, a huge financial crash uh, bigger than 2008 in 2020. Uh, there's a big poll of like mainstream economists around the world, like mainstream economists, or you know whatever, like uh, economists, right? And uh, I think it was 72% of them said they predicted a, a huge financial crash in 2020. But then, as it happened, the pandemic came in. You know, some people say just coincidence. Other people say maybe it was intentionally used, like the lockdowns were used to cover up that there was going to be a crash and that the 2008 crash had never been properly fixed that they just bailed out the banks. Take our taxpayer money. No problem. Oh, there's a lot of evidence of fraud and like um, risky lending, but they just, you know, um, like, oh, whatever, I'll be out. And then the taxpayer f f fitted the, uh, foot the bill um, uh, and didn't even, it's not even like, okay, yeah, but now we have this extra control over you. We bought something from the purchase of helping you out. No, they just took all the money, started giving themselves more bonuses. And... Uh, didn't change the regulatory system, which had contributed to that. Um, which is largely like the you know central banks giving out very like low interest rate money, so encouraging people to borrow because it's not as expensive to borrow, so causing debt. Whereas if you just if the central banks, which are still controlling interest rates, if they just let the free market manage it, then okay, it'd be like oh, there's a lot of debt. Um, there's not much savings. All right, well if you want to borrow money. There's not much savings, and we're not just getting free money from the central bank, so you need to pay more for that because there's not much of it. Supply and demand, you know? So you need to pay 10% interest. But, ooh, okay, I'm not going to get my Ferrari on this alone like that. That's crazy. But, oh, I have a business which is going to get 20%. You know, the 10% the I have to pay um, to them in the next few years, like, uh, I can, I'm going to be making 20% each year in profit because this business is such a good idea. It's really catering to a need or want that people have. So yeah, I'll take that deal. And they do it and, you know, a bunch of people do that and in general, people who are doing that, most of them will succeed or enough of them will succeed. They, they, so 
interest rates when it's market, you know, de- determined by the market and not by the, you know, governments um, uh, who have vested interests apart from other th- not being perfect, as, you know, just humans rather than the decentralized information processing system of a, a free a market. Um, uh, if if the market had been setting interest rates, then uh, that would have kind of self corrected. Is a, a lot of people make that argument. A lot of economists, especially Austrian economists, um, the more traditional ones. Um, so, uh, but uh, the point being that the two thousand eight crisis wasn't fixed. They didn't change this regulation or central banking policies, or you know rein in this kind of uh, risky behaviour. Um, they just kind of like well. Uh, that it you know kicked the can down the road, and then it had come. It was about to come back to bite us, and you know, who knows? But um, uh, this humble talking monkey would suggest that um, the it's coming. There's a, a an economic crisis. You know, it shouldn't be a big surprise. There's always you know there've been so many financial crises like through history, right? Um, but yeah, I'd say a bigger one than 2008 is coming at some point, um, unless I don't know people try to something else comes in to like the pandemic did, you know, I thought it was going to come in 2020 and then um, the lockdowns came in. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. So it didn't happen. Um, so yeah, so some people who are more cynical maybe or, you know, you might think they're cynical or you might think they're just uh, aware or you might think they're conspiracy theorists or you might think they're just realists or whatever um, would say like it's a bit convenient and that the government was also incentivized to bring in lockdowns so that there was a cover story for why... Um, economy was suffering and at the same time being able to pump out all this um free money to people because oh you're not working here's all this money um and uh in order to kind of cover up the fact to prevent a crash so inject all this money have a reason to inject all this money into the economy um so um but yeah but who knows right could could totally just been not at all that That there's just not a factor you know we don't know um so but the uh, so but the economic damage. So we are so much more in debt now. So it's like it's just that was another thing to the lockdown. So all across the board, it's really incredible that we could do the lockdowns because if you think about the um, cost benefit analysis of it, which is what government's meant to be doing, um, it's like that they're in the business of cost benefit analysis, like opportunity cost. Okay, you know Greg wants this, uh, Jennifer wants that. Um, Eloise wants this, uh, Marvin wants that, you know, uh, okay, how do we find a way, we can't satisfy everyone, how do we satisfy the most people possible? Um, and, you know, the most people and the most profound benefits, like, kind of optimize that, you know, and, um, doesn't seem like that's, that was being done in this situation, you know, does it? I mean, I don't know, it's like, I can't, I don't know what the explanation would be, um, apart from, you know, there's incompetence. People didn't quite know what was going on, maybe because of too much fear in the, the, you know, we're all just, for all the things like the government or, you know, these systems in institutions, we're all just people. We all go to the toilet, you know, we all fart, we all yawn, we all, uh, you know, occasionally vomit from drinking too much or from being sick. Um, We all shower naked, um... As Bob Dylan said, you know, uh, even the president of the United States must sometimes stand naked. Um, uh, you know, we, we all cry, we all get unreasonably angry from time to time, or maybe almost everyone. Um, we all make bad choices. We all make good choices. Um, 
we all put our trousers on one leg at a time, you know. Um, so we're humans, you know. Like there's a, we're beautiful, amazing, majestic creatures, but we're also, you know, we're animals. <laughs> and so all these, you know, fine, dignified institutions are all made up of people. We're just people. We're just like us, the babies that grew up, you know. We were babies not very long ago, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, older babies in this time, you know, say five-year-olds down, there's going to be a time when they are the elders. And there's no one alive on the earth who wasn't, who was six years old upwards now. There's going to be a point when they're all passed on and just five-year-olds down, those people who are alive now will be the only people also still alive at that point in the future. They'll be the elders. Some of them will be holding uh, senior leadership positions or maybe retired or whatever. Um, and so, you know, they're going to probably take themselves very seriously also. But, uh, you know, and we should take ourselves seriously, but we should also take ourselves not seriously. Take ourselves, you know, sillily, uh, you know, have that balance. Um, again, seeing things from both sides. So, you know, we're not perfect. And so perhaps it was just a mistake. You know, people, um, too many people were maybe had the bad information. They didn't have access to some of this information um, or they were afraid. Um, and so they had their particular decision. And then you got this snowball effect of if too many people are making bad decisions, it contributes to this overall effect of like kind of trickles down or trickles up or whatever, you know, to the, the big decisions that, that may, might not be very wise. Um, kind of like a corporation could pollute a river whereas none of the members might individually really want that. But like, well, it's just what's going to happen. We can't, you know, um, or, you know, maybe some of them don't care, you know, too many of them don't care perhaps. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, I guess another thing to mention here is that, so there's the fear that could be driving this, but then also um, causing the in, an incompetence as an explanation for why lockdowns were brought you know in um uh <laughs> i will mention before i move on to the talking about the media briefly i'll mention some people make a case and they do seem to be they're not crazy people they seem like they know what they're talking about um there's a guy who was just on jordan peterson's podcast uh, uh was it michael howells very interesting guy a former green beret american guy um who studied a lot of the kind of nature of like Think, I don't know, all kinds of crazy things, but he was talking about the global situation. That was very enlightening. Um, so him and also some people who are on Majid Nawas's podcast, Radical, uh, were talking, um, again, I don't remember, but some sort of, um, you know, was it a journalist, I think, maybe, uh, was uh, talking about um, their, of the view that China, I think, definitely the journalist guy, but... Um, uh, I believe the um, Michael Howell or Holes was also saying, um, but I'm not sure. Um, but the, uh, some people say that uh, China, the CCP in particular, so not the Chinese people, you know, but like um, the, the Chinese Communist Party, um, were that this is actually warfare. That China intentionally um, kind of uh, in, encouraged the spread of lockdowns um, through its influence through the World Health Organization, where it has a lot of influence to the extent that they won't mention Taiwan. They won't say the name of Taiwan on camera. Someone else said, what do you think about Taiwan? And the person just ignored the question and kind of ended the call and came back and like, okay, we can keep continuing, but you know, let's move on, you know? So, and I think China contributes a lot of funding, a lot of money for the World Health Organization. Um, 
but uh, and then uh, and also even some people say the virus itself, which um, again I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just so it's all COVID and consciousness, right? We just want to know what different people think. Then we, we sit on that, and we're gonna our intuition and our intellect are gonna kind of bring together. Like, okay, what's most likely, you know? But it's we're we're impoverished and we're in danger if we're not aware of every possibility, you know, every reasonable possibility, you know. So it's worth thinking, um, just thinking about just, so just briefly, I'm going to mention this thing, which I have no idea if this is true, but it could be true. Who knows? Um, is that it was a, a warfare, modern warfare from the CCP, where they both encouraging lockdowns to spread around because that would ec weaken these other their potential enemies. If there was, because also America has shown some willingness for a war. And there's a lot of people in the American establishment who really like war. There's a lot of um, corporations who, benefit enormously off of war and they would go bankrupt if war stopped so they've got a vested interest in war to some extent like there's the war machine the wars for profit um you can look at john pilger's pilger's work war on democracy you can look at Ed, what edward snowden's talked about and wikileaks um uh, the you know the cables uh diplomatic cables release showed a lot of stuff about like ooh, america does a lot of great things but there's a serious element within the power base there in america who are actually they're just pretty clear about like, yeah, we think we're the best. We should have the most power and war. We can have this war machine, which kind of makes profit. And that allows us this power to kind of take control resources and kind of, you know, monopolize control around the planet. If we don't do it, some bad guys are going to do it, you know, whatever. So that's their story, whatever, you know. Um, so China has been aware of this, that there's this kind of danger, like America has shown some willingness. America's got a ring of military bases around China, you know, from South Korea, down, you know, Okinawa, down, you know, Taiwan, I think. I'm not sure. Um, uh, down, you know, like all all over the joint, right? Um, so some people would say that China uh, both encouraged lockdowns to weaken these potential enemies um, uh, and allow itself to kind of rise without being challenged and to the dominant um, global power. Um, and also that it even perhaps intentionally re released this virus because, believe it or not, um, the, uh, there's no evidence that it jumped from like a bat or a pangolin to a human just naturally due to some wet market in Wuhan. There's no evidence behind that. And that story seems to have been discredited. Actually, there's a thing called the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which was in Wuhan, the exact place where this thing came from. And they were studying, we now know, although Fauci denied it and lied to Congress about it, which is illegal, but um, uh, the they, uh, they were working, doing gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses, taking coronaviruses, which are natural in bats, in the caves in the area, and modifying them, altering them, to make them more um, deadly and more virulent, you know, to make them spread faster among humans. Not because they were, you know, trying to do this as a weapon, allegedly, but just, you know, there's a lot of um, labs around the world doing this kind of work. And the idea is that it's defensive. Just like you learn how to use guns, even if you don't want to start a war, because you need to know how to defend against people who might be doing that. The argument was, look, we need to know how this kind of biological warfare goes and works um, in order to defend ourselves. We need to know what the, um, the enemy can be capable of. We need to be in that game, even if we're not going to use it. Which sounds like fresh out of Greek tragedy, self-fulfilling prophecies, right? But nonetheless, this was this thing that was being studied. Um, interestingly, so... And, Okay, so we know that that was um, happening there. And so it seems the most likely explanation by far, especially because the coronavirus, some people have said it looks like it's altered. It doesn't look like a natural, the certain parts of it above my pay grade to know 
but they would say that like uh, Brett Weinstein, the evolutionary biologist, he was talking about this, how it seems like there's certain developments which seem too out of sync with other coronaviruses. Um, uh, he was saying that pretty early, even in 2020, actually. But um, I think 2020, yeah. Uh, but And that was ridiculed at first, ignored, ridiculed, uh, you know, uh, violently denied, you know, and then seemingly more and more accepted as that's the, what's that's the four stages of grief or something. What's that called? I can't remember. Anyway, denial. Okay. But, um, so, uh, yes. And so it seems that's the most likely candidate for where this thing came from. It was an escapee, um, uh, basically, uh, lab creation, human playing God kind of, you know, um, now, interestingly, that lab uh, was actually, uh, basically, um, the research was a collaboration between the Chinese government and the American government, which is very bizarre, because um, they've you know, got all this like saber-rattling kind of thing at each other, trade wars with, through the Trump era. But meanwhile, at least some elements of the governments and um, research establishments were collaborating, which is very interesting. And, but um, that, uh, so it was made illegal, that kind of research in America, <laughs> clear, obvious reasons, right? They're like, no, that's not a good idea. But then Fauci, through the NIH, which he was running, I believe, um, they uh, they gave funding to EcoHealth Alliance, which I believe was under Peter Daszak, um, who later denied also, like Fauci, that this had ever happened. Um, you know, Gigantic Function Research, he sent this thing saying, no, no, this is nonsense, this is conspiracy theory, and declared no conflict of interest in this letter, public letter, you know, open letter, whatever. Um, and uh, But he was... So Fauci, get, through NIH, gave funding to EcoHealth Alliance under Peter Daszak, who gave funding to this Wuhan Institute of Virology um, research with China. I believe that's the, the way it works. And Rand Paul, the congressman, has been you know grilling Fauci over this, like being like, and that's where it kind of a lot of this kind of gained more attention. But um, so that's the thing that was happening. And so some people would argue that you know it's a bit uh, too. Uh, too much, too beneficial for China that these lockdowns, like the virus spread around the world, um, that uh, the lockdowns were then emulated, um, which both hurt all these other economies, but then also kind of exports the cultural values of the Chinese Communist Party, which is totalitarian control. You know, and the idea that the government has the right to do this to people, to sovereign citizens, you know, um, without any mandate, you know, <laughs> mandates without a mandate, you know mandating, oh, t do this, take the vaccine, you know, stay home, do this, da, da, da. you can't work if you don't do this, without that being agreed upon by a majority of the citizens. So anyway, that's a side little tangent there, but it's, I need to mention it because it's relevant, right? It would be remiss of me not to mention it, given that I am conscious of this possibility that people, you know, argue about. So we'll set that aside. That's one thing. So um, now, uh, so saying China, um, yeah, okay, so now the media. Um, and uh, censorship, right? So, um, now, uh, there's been a lot of censorship during this whole thing. And that's been, um, when we're thinking before, I was thinking, like, okay, um, why uh, were the lockdowns allowed to happen? Was that just, um, like, incompetence based upon fear? Like, too many people were afraid of this thing? Or what was it? It's... Also, possibly just the, the stories they had, they were watching the news and they believed in this narrative of what was happening, which was excluding a lot of vital information. And so the, potentially there was a feedback loop where the government was watching the media um, and the media were kind of some, to some extent towing the line of what the government was telling them. 
but it's kind of like an echo chamber of, oh, yeah, this is really bad, isn't it? It's really bad. Um, where some maybe vested interests in the media were kind of polluting the, you know, the, or muddying the waters of this thing. Um, so, to wit, right, uh, the media, so both, and big tech were doing this too. So, people were being taken off of Twitter for saying things which actually had evidence behind it or were possible, like the, the lab leak hypothesis, that would get you taken down off Twitter, I think, in 2020 after that open letter from Peter Daszak and stuff, I believe. Um, and people were taken off of Twitter. And then later on, like six months later, it's like, or 12 months later, no, it's fine. You can do it. And, you know, public, you know, people, mainstream or whatever, people were talking about it. Uh, and so it was like, oh, okay, whoops. That was censorship. That was wrong. We made a mistake. No one's admitted that, but like, you know, or maybe someone has admitted it, I'm not sure. But, you know, um, and there's many things. So uh, people taken off of YouTube or demonetized. So you're, you're making, you've got your business. YouTube knows you're making money off it. They don't agree with your opinions. So they decide to take away your livelihood. Demonetized. So most people are going to have to stop talking about those things. So that's, that's brutal. You know, that's censorship. Now you could say, well, yeah, but it's, they're a private company. They're allowed to do it. Well, look, that could be true to some extent. Yeah, they are. And generally, I believe in letting companies do what they want. And then if people don't like it, they can build an alternative. Like say, um, uh, what do you got? Getter instead of Twitter. Um, they're doing kind of that uh, censorship-free. Um, uh, Odyssey instead of YouTube. What's it? O-D-I-S-E-E? Or is it O-D-Y-S-E-E? -E? Something like that. Odyssey. So, you know... Um, uh, and so you've got these alternatives coming up, you know. So, well, you know, you've got ThinkSpot, uh, which is like a kind of intellectuals kind of social media thing. You've got Minds, I think, instead of Facebook, Minds is trying to do. So you've got these alternatives coming up, you know, so that's cool. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, it is kind of like the public square, like YouTube and Twitter. That's how a lot of the communication happens these days. People aren't going out into the, the middle, the central square and talking, like Socrates talking to... Plato or whatever, just in the middle of the marketplace or whatever. Um, so our d discourse, which is a vital part of democracy and um, collective decision-making and sovereignty, balancing the sovereignty of the individual with the collective, um, that, uh, you know, that requires that we have a balanced um, spectrum of voices. And so if we have one person at YouTube or Twitter ever going, oh, I don't like that, shut them down, that's like really not very democratic. That's kind of, um, and even though it's a private company, you know, they're kind of like a bit like public utilities. Like, you know, like um, someone saying at the telephone company, oh, I don't like your political views. I'm going to take away your telephone. They're not allowed to do that. You know, that's like, oh, you can't, that's discrimination. So is this not discrimination? Like you, we, we say you're not allowed to say, okay, you know, no Irish need apply for this job, or it was it um, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, in that order. <laughs> that was the sign uh, that used to be, uh, like, I think in America, was it, like, quite common, you know, it's discrimination, you know. Nowadays, we're like, you can't do that. That's not allowed. But we're allowed to say, oh, yeah, people who believe in this thing or that, you know, or question certain things even, not even saying they believe something, you're not allowed to use our platform. Um, you, you're not allowed to do business with us. That's kind of interesting, right? And kind of seems a bit like discrimination and, and not to mention just dangerous for public policy reasons of how do we find out what's the right answer, you know? Um, 
So that was happening, and a lot of people can sense it, um, particularly people uh, more right-wing or conservative. And, you know, these terms aren't very useful, in my opinion. Right-wing, left-wing, it's like, it's useful to some extent, but, like, you know, like, um, I think the more important um, criteria or the more important um, spectrum to be thinking about these days uh, is... um, kind of freedom versus authoritarianism or like uh, individual liberty versus uh, collective um, mandates, you know, Um, collective uh, kind of uh, force, you know. So like, and so, you know, for example, communists and fascists, though technically one's left, the other's right, they both are very similar. They both think the government should be telling everyone what to do. So they'd be on the authoritarian side of it libertarians, free market capitalists, um, kind of uh, classical British liberals um, on towards like, you know, more like, you know, middle, mid-centrist kind of things, they would be more like uh, towards the freedom end, you know. Um, So anyway, so there's a bunch of censorship um, and essentially like book burning, you know, like not good. Like if you're right, if someone's ideas are wrong, you shouldn't need to burn their book. You can just talk to people about it in front of a crowd and they're going to get destroyed because the truth is stronger than fiction, you know? Uh, so, and people, usually people who say, oh, the truth needs protection from these bad ideas, usually they're the, the wielders of fiction. That's just the fact because that's the only way they can compete. They can't compete through an open contest of ideas. So they, and whether they're consciously aware of that or not, whether they've repressed it and telling themselves a story which allows themselves to feel good about what they're doing um, and not have to change their ways, um, either way, like uh, that's often what happens. People who can't win an open contest of ideas resort to censorship, domination, threats, and it's ugly, and it's not what we need, you know? Um, so that's basically, you know, people getting kicked off of YouTube um, for talking about like, oh, I think 5G radiation, which we know is not healthy. In general, radiation isn't healthy. Um, uh, unfortunately, we thought it, uh, uh, and I'm not endorsing that theory, or I'm just mentioning like, they, some people had that theory about that that's what was getting people sick. And some of them even said there was no virus, you know. They're like, oh, it's just radiation. Um, that was their theory, right? But, like, um, even if you disagree with their theory, they, I, I think uh, you should um, agree with their right to, to talk about it. Because otherwise, that's not a democracy. That's a fascism, right? So who are we? You know, and that's a, another thing. This um, COVID era has been a great invitation to remember who are we? Because it's easy to kind of just presume you know who you are in the... the you know, the um, comfortable days. But when there's a crisis, that's when you really find out who you are, who you're becoming, who you want to become. And uh, so, uh, yeah, like, so people saying, yeah, and with radiation, so we do know, like, they, uh, at first, this is not really on topic too much, but just quickly, uh, they uh, originally thought that um, uh, ionizing radiation, definitely, they're like, oh, it's fine. You, you can have uh, x-rays of your feet when you're trying on new shoes. And they were like, oh, wait a minute, this, this causes DNA damage. And so they stopped. They said, okay, that's only needs to be regulated. Go to the doctor. If you really need it, you'll get an x-ray every now and then. But, you know, it's damaging, so you have to be careful, sparing with it. Non-ionizing radiation, they discovered, and they're like, oh, it doesn't cause DNA damage. All right, cool. So that's like cell phones, ca- um, electricity cables in your ha- home, um, Wi-Fi routers, um, all kinds of things like this, uh, microwaves. Um, and they're like, uh, all right, so, well, microwaves might be ionizing, not sure. Anyway, but, um, but say internet and, you know, uh, cell phone towers, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then they realized, like a few decades later, after they'd started to roll out all this infrastructure with the green light from the scientists, they're like, oh, actually, it causes oxidative stress, which in turn causes DNA damage. So, like, yikes. So, I'm not sure, maybe it's not as strong as the other type, but it's not good for us. And uh, so, we're now blanketed in that. And some people think this is connected to the bees, the problems the bees are having, because they're getting confused by all these mixed electromagnetic signals, whereas they seem to communicate through that with each other to some extent. Um, although there's also the neonics problem of pesticides and stuff. But um, so we know that radiation is not healthy in general. If you grow a plant right next to a, a Wi-Fi router, it's going to have a hard time, you know. So and in general, when you're sleeping, it's good to turn off your internet, turn off your phones or put it on flight mode. Um, they've shown that that's beneficial for sleep, things like this. So, you know, it's not like there's nothing to their argument. They're saying, oh, we're increasing, you know, the amount of radiation, you know. Um, but even if it doesn't, you know, make sense in general or whatever, you know, that's their theory. They have the right to talk about it. And who knows? They could be right. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. You know, I, I, I don't think they're right. But, I mean, I don't know. You know, I haven't really looked into it enough. Um, uh, so should they be censored? Should we be burning their books? Or should we just let them, you know, have their thing? And if we're so right, then we'll be able to show it to them. If they start getting too, you know, popular enough, we'll confront them with a open debate and... Um, if you believe that in an open debate truth won't win, then uh, then that's kind of a bit of a confession. We need to have a heart to heart and go, what exactly do you think like our society is based on? Because um, how did we get to this? We, we didn't get to this point by dominating. Like um, the traditions of the West were all it was like the scientific method, etc. Like um, let the truth will prevail. Um, we. We test it. We have a decentralized system where people propose, propose different ideas. And um, when people hear that, a minority of people will probably choose believe in the wrong person who's got less coherent arguments, less evidence. Um, a minority of people will be really enthusiastic about the uh, correct um, person. And the people in the middle will be mostly you know, uh, in line with the, uh, the correct person. So overall, you've got a clear majority some very clearly aware it's definitely true, but a bunch of other people are like, mm, yeah, I think it's probably true. Um, and they lean towards truth. That's just the way things happen. If, if we weren't able to process information clearly, how would we have evolved to this point, dodging tigers and stuff? If we, if we were, you know, it's like nature is ruthless, nature is incredibly efficient, and you know, that extends into the human world. We are nature. And so this, I think, um, undergirds the, the integrity of our ability to en masse move towards truth so long as we don't get swept up in um, primal emotions. So long as we can stay calm. I think a calm crowd will always kind of, will almost always be able to si detect the truth and side with it. Um, a riled up crowd, yeah, maybe less so. <laughs> but um, so, all right, so the censorship. Now, what in particular has been censored? Okay, so there's the thing of the lab leak hypothesis. Also, the death, the deaths, um, the fact that the survival, you know, rate from COVID is so huge. The number of people who die is very small, and it's mostly very old people or um, people who are already very sick. Um, the average people have died with COVID. The, they have, in, I think, it was more than fifty percent of them. I think it was actually like seventy percent or something had, um, on average, four comorbidities, four serious health problems already. So now, so that's, you know. That kind of shows you this is a, d a disease of elderly uh, or like um, or older and sicker people, you know. So young, healthy people, or healthy older people, um, or not so healthy young people, 
in general, like we're we're fine, and uh, um, overwhelmingly we're fine from this thing. It's been about the same death rate as the flu. Similar. It's not the same as the flu, but it's had a very similar death rate. The flu is even more dangerous for children, right? Which is crazy that we never lock down schools for children, but the flu can kill children. But whereas with children, COVID does almost nothing. Like there's been almost zero children planetarily who have died from this. Um, and so it's, it's essentially zero, almost zero. Um, I think there might be like a, hand, a handful on the whole planet, you know, it's incredibly rare. So essentially it's just like less than having the flu for children. Um, so, um, but yeah, so for older people, sicker people, definitely it is a danger. But um, so what would have probably made more sense, you would think is, okay, people who are worried, here are the, the, okay, if you're pretty sick already, if you're obese, that seems like a big health, a big um, connection if you're obese and you're much more likely to have problems with COVID. Um, and uh, if, maybe if you have lung problems, you know, um, or if you are uh, quite old, then you are at increased risk. But even older people, I think one in 20 were dying. So it wasn't like a death sentence. It's not like the bubonic plague or something. Um, and that was without treatment. Um, so if you were treated, and there were early treatments, which we'll talk about in a bit, were suppressed, um, then um, perhaps it would have been even better. The, it would have been one in 100 died. Who knows? Um, among the older people. So, uh, so let's see. Uh, juggling many balls. So, so that was uh, that information. Yeah, what would make sense once you're aware of this, conscious of this, would be you'd think, okay, if we're going to have a lockdown, it would be just for the vulnerable people, and it's going to be voluntary. We should get around the thing of people saying, oh, that's you know that how how that's not fair. We're all in this together. If we're in it together, shouldn't you be getting our consent? You know, but um. So saying, like, say, a voluntary um, lockdown or whatever of vulnerable people. And so if you're, say, you're a younger person who's got a lung problem, then maybe the government's saying, yeah, we will support you for this period. While the virus is around, we're going to pay, give you social welfare, you know, because you're, you tick the boxes as a vulnerable person. You've been assessed. We go, yeah, that's true. You're, you know, they say, you know, you're at risk of this. Um, and then everyone else gets on with normal life. The virus spreads around people. We build up immunity. The virus runs out of people to keep infecting and it's gone, you know, or like uh, that would be the idea, right? Or potentially maybe it wouldn't be gone, but it would be like very rare. Um, and most people would have immunity to it. So when it's spreading, it's going to, even if it's very rare, like it was at first, but at first it was able to spread. It was like a little spark in a hot, uh, uh, in a, uh, a forest full of dry kindling, as opposed to a spark in a forest full of soaked wet kindling which would be like immune people with immunity it's not going to spread and so you know granny and everyone can go go out and into um as much as they want so you could have that kind of period that would make sense you know which would be in line with historical precedent a quarantine of the vulnerable or or the sick even that wouldn't be in line with historical precedent because it's a quarantine of the sick but yeah if we said if you're sick stay home um if you um not if you test positive but if you're sick because the tests were notoriously um, um, inaccurate, causing like false positives. Like, say, the PCR test, which was commonly used at the beginning, the inventor of that said this would never be used for diagnosing... Um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was saying the, the way it was used, like, say, for COVID, he died, I think, before this it broke out, but he was saying that shouldn't be used for diagnosing, like, you know, 
uh, have you got a virus, right? Because um, the way they had to crank up the um, the number of rounds or magnifications where they're like amplifying, they're like amplifying some test sample of the, the viral matter. They amplify it enough somehow through these cycles where they're able to see things. But if you keep amplifying it enough, you can kind of get false readings where you're, oh yeah, look, it's here. Whereas you've done 40 rounds when you're only meant to do 20 rounds or something. So, and the, the average number of rounds was very high throughout uh, as I understand it, the, um, when these were being used um, in general, that was the case. And so, um, and then even with other tests, you know, it's um, the false positives, you know. Um, and so, you know, there's this problem where you're over-testing, so it's amplifying the problem, making it look worse. Whereas, um, apart from being expensive, waste of money, um, and perhaps, you know, especially when people can't go to work because they've tested positive, but maybe they're totally fine. And so the lowering, you know, we needed a strong economy, even if we're just going to support the vulnerable people. But not to mention, if we're taking everyone off the line, it's just, you know, so much to carry. To, um, and uh, so um, th that would have been, you'd think, on balance, like a uh, more logical, <laughs> you know, thing for our leaders to kind of agree upon. Like, all right, let's have a, you know, if, if you're 70, 80 years old and you feel comfortable taking your chances and living a normal life, you just want to have quality of life while you're here, we could all get run over by a truck tomorrow, you know, anyway, like, you know, let's just live and not be too afraid of death, which has been just another big thing that this um, positive from this thing, it's made people aware of death more, which makes you more aware of life. So even people who have made them more scared, I think it's kickstarted a process of homecoming to look, you're going to have to confront this sooner or later, the sooner the better. So, you know, and I think a lot of people have been able to make peace with, to some extent with death and go, look, you know, we can't live in fear. You know, we're already dead if we're living in fear. Let's be alive. Let's be at peace, you know. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so that would have been, you'd think, made more sense um, to stay, those people stay at home if they want, you know, or not if they don't want to. Um, now, uh, so, but the censorship, um, so the, yeah, and so the cases were kind of exaggerated, not necessarily intentionally, but you might say intentionally by some if they're, being selfish and wanted to, you know, get more money or, you know, from advertising or, you know, governments who like wanted maybe some, there's some people who wanted more power and more authority, more bigger budget, you know, they're enjoying the self-importance of it. We all know certain politicians, people who are kind of narcissistic, like everyone to be looking at them. Naturally, we all know a lot of politicians are like a bit narcissistic, not all of them, but we like, come on, let's not kid ourselves. We, this is like a stereotype. It comes from somewhere. You know, we know it. Not all stereotypes are. Uh, it's just a stereotype that stereotypes are mostly wrong. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, that's possible that there were, you know, kind of intentional exploitation or kind of people being selfish to ex exaggerate cases. If we're being realistic, we have to keep that into account, both sides of the issue, right? That's possible. The other side of it is that um, it was just, and if, if that was the case, I'd say it'd be a minority, right? The majority, I don't think that's possible. I think it'd be a minority of people doing that if that was the case. Um, and then uh, on the other side, uh, yeah, like you could just say, you no, know, it's just um, uh, people, um, you know, g uh, getting swept up with the, the information, going, yeah, exaggerating the cases accidentally, you know, or unintentionally or unconsciously. So say um, we have uh, the tests, po false positives from the tests and testing so many people en masse. So exaggerating the cases, um, you have... Uh, the deaths being ex uh, 
exaggerated because, um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't really mentioned. Um, and, uh, like that, you know, the death rate was actually this because it was, you know, that it was mostly, or that the demographics was mostly sick people and older people. Um, that wasn't really mentioned. So exaggerated, even all these people have died. It kind of makes you think anyone could die from it, which is not true. Um, it's, you know, it's mostly these older people or sicker people. Um, also the way they counted the deaths was changed. So from the CDC in America, and I think the European equivalent, I think did the same, not totally certain, but I, I believe they did. Um, and around the world, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but, um, I've heard people say that, but I don't know. Um, but definitely in America. Right. And yeah. So, um, they ch changed the, um, and most things have been in sync globally with this. So you would, I would, that's why I would kind of lean towards thinking this was a global thing. They changed the counting um, way, which they'd never done before. So that if you died with COVID instead of dying of COVID, they have, couldn't show that COVID killed you, but you died and you had it in the system. You were counted as a COVID death. That had never been done before with like the flu or anything else. Like you had the flu, but you died of a heart attack. It's put down as heart attack. You had the flu and you died of, I don't know, um, uh, whatever it is. Um, it was written down as the other thing. Um, with COVID, it was changed. So that massively inflated the numbers. Um, and that also wasn't mentioned. Now, were all the journalists who are the anchors who are you know, reading what's on the teleprompter, were they aware of this? I don't know. You'd think if they were doing their job, they should have been aware, right, the media. So, um, but maybe, you know, who knows? Was that fear or, you know, people being afraid to step out of line what the government was saying or... What, how does is it a few people were kind of just kind of you know I don't know uh, just narcissists and selfish and just wanted to make money off the situation or you know bad people um, and then that spreads or who knows but um, we know that there's all these um, irregularities in the way things were counted and they the media we're meant to be relying on they weren't telling us this so um, that's also a problem. Um, and, uh, what else with the cases? Uh, so that was the case numbers thing. Um, yeah. So I think that was the all for like how the cases were exaggerated, the number. Um, yeah. So, so now, and that was censored. I think people who were saying that were being censored, um, by, you know, um, the social media, the tech giants and, um, you know, people that weren't, wasn't being brought on TV. You weren't having people like, like saying that kind of thing aloud on TV. Majid Nawas, who was a um, presenter, um, a radio presenter in the UK, he um, was talking about some sort of thing which is out of line with you know the the, the mainstream narrative, um, and he was uh, fired from his position. What was he talking about? I think he was questioning boosters. I think. Um, and and uh, saying you know why, like th this thing, is, if it's meant to work, and it didn't work, then you know why are we doing it again? You know, um, I think that was the case. But we'll get to that in a moment. Look, the vaccines. So, um, uh, so yeah. So there was censorship, um, and people who are pointing out things like, here's some really crazy thing, which is, um, which uh, well, before I mention that, is there anything simpler to mention? Um, so you have the deaths, um, and who's dying. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so, yeah, really crazy is there's a thing before this all began called Event 201 
in I think it was at in Baltimore. Is it like John Hopkins University? I think, which was from the very beginning um, keeping counts of all the, you know the live COVID case and deaths tracker thing. They were like at the center of this. It seemed like they got up and running really quickly compared to others. Um, uh, they, uh, I think it was there. They had um, in late 2019. Was it early 2019? Can't remember. They uh, had a thing called Event 201 where basically they were simulating, believe it or not, a global pandemic where um, a virus, was it a virus? I think, um, had spread around the world and governments had to act in coordination. Media had to all standardize their narrative and work together in order to kind of nudge and marshal and guide people to do what was required. You know, extreme restrictions, unprecedented restrictions on individual freedoms, um, all this kind of thing. And then that there'd be, you know, people, conspiracy theories, like uh, people with crazy misinformation trying to get in the way and they would need to be controlled kind of, or managed. Um, all of this kind of stuff, there was like a, a, a dry run kind of thing in like 2019. Um, and, uh, it was like really funded by, it was like all these big players were involved. I think, yeah, I can't re exactly remember the details, but I think like media companies were involved too. Um, but like, like what, what's that all about? That, is that a coincidence or is this like someone knew this was happening? This is one reason why some people call it a plandemic or a scamdemic, that this was people setting this thing up for various reasons of profit and power. Governments get more power. You know, you'd have to be naive to think, what do, what do people want power for? Have you read a history book? People, like there's a bunch of people who love power. Maybe not you, like, or maybe in some ways, you know, normal people like power, you know, better than being powerless, right? But um, there's a minority of us who are just like, that's all they think about. They like, they love it. And it boosts their sense of self and fights off the fear of death or, you know, meaninglessness or whatever. Um, so, and just in general, also people who are well-meaning often like have more power because then it's easier to, you know, make your will, your be benevolent will actualize, you know? So governments who are like, I know what to do, but unfortunately the people won't let me. Ooh, a bit more power I could make. I could help everyone, you know? Um, so even the road to hell being paved with good intentions, apart from pure corruption, as we already mentioned. Um, so that potentially is an impetus to plan this and intentionally do it, even though it's a crazy idea. I'm not saying it's true. Again, just laying out the options on the table. Um, there's no harm in being aware of these options. There's great harm of not being aware of them. Um, the only harm of not being aware of these options would be if you didn't trust yourself to be able to know what's real. But if that's the case, you've got... I don't know. I don't think that makes sense, actually, because you you've got no choice. You have to trust yourself. Because if you don't trust yourself, you have to trust someone else. But how do you choose who to trust? <laughs> it has to be your choice, right? So you have to cultivate your own trust in yourself and your own ability and to make good decisions and just roll with it. Do the best you can. Wing it, you know? So on one side, um, yeah, for the government, power and control, um, increased ability to regulate people um, and uh, enforce their uh, programs or implement their programs. And in um, big corporate corporations and billionaire class, make more money. And just in general, a bunch of people to make more, a lot of money. And we'll get to that, about the money that's been made in this, apart from the huge tr wealth transfer to the, you know, away from the, out of the middle class, um, to bigger businesses and bigger, you know, institutions and investors. Um, but um, some other money's been made as well. Um, but, so that's why some people have said like, look, this is really fishy. Why were they having this planned thing there? That seems like they were setting it in motion, like whoever they is, you know, like that's kind of crazy. Like, 
Um, but like, what, what's the alternative? I mean, like, okay, let's presume that that seems to me honestly like very fishy. But let's just presume that's not true. That like that it wasn't an intentional planned coordinated thing. That then, you know, among some people, if that was the case, it'd be a, a smaller number of people did did that, and then uh, um, they pretended to be surprised along with everyone else, and then all these other well-meaning people were like, oh my god, and then kind of just went with it and you know rolled and but there was that it was seeded by a smaller group who intentionally set this in motion and pretended that it was natural um that would be that you know that would be the logical most reasonable possibility for that you think you know like a large amount of people being involved doesn't make really make much sense but a small number of people would be all you need you could set to set something like that in motion in theory okay but on the other side what could be the explanation otherwise some water might help me figure this out Um, you could say maybe there's just an increase of the number of viruses around the world, maybe, or, yeah, I don't know, perhaps people are getting less healthy due to, like, you know, increasing detachment from nature and maybe viruses are becoming more common um, as people global health decreases, although in some countries public health is increasing, actually developing world, a lot of places it is, but in the West it seems to be decreasing. Advanced countries seems to be decreasing in general, health. Um so maybe it was that and they were just aware of this and they were thinking it's possible um, and then it's just maybe it's the universe messing with us like putting this in 2019 just to make it you know part of you know confusing and make us think about it and learn i don't know um uh yeah so i don't know i guess that would be the only possibilities it's just coincidence or um angels messing with us uh, probably for our own good, or um, that there was some sort of awareness in general that these health problems were increasing, that it could be... Ha I know Bill Gates was talking about it for quite a while, like, you know, that viruses could wipe out humanity or something. Um, but, you know, on the other side, uh, you have the possibility of, yeah, money and power. So we'll leave that there, you know? That's all. We just need to know the options. That's all. Don't need to make any judgments. Um, so, okay, and then... Um, so that whole thing was censored. People talking about that was censored. You get in trouble. And apart from the whole censorship thing of these companies censoring you or government, you know, being like, no, you're not allowed on our public broadcast if you want to talk about stuff like that. Um, there is also, um, and controlling the public officials, like, you know, people saying something, I don't know, I would presume that that was going on. You know, like one person wants to talk about this and then the rest of the party's like, hey, you can't do that. You would assume that that was happening, you know, um, messing with our brand. But I guess that's kind of normal in political parties, more or less. But um, so there would also be, um, apart from that kind of censorship, um, just there was social taboo. And remember that thing we're talking about, about like a lone human is a dead human and like, oh, I came to sit next to you. Let's hang out. No, no, you, you sit there. That's okay. I'm going to go over there. You know, like ooh, visceral feeling of not good. You know, um, there was that at work also where to a huge extent people – where if, um, didn't want to talk about the, they they didn't want to express their genuine questions and answers, their genuine opinions and the genuine lines of inquiry of what they're kind of thinking about. They were self-censoring because they didn't they knew like the the, the in the media there was, and government there was ridiculing and um, shaming people who were raising questions, you know even legitimate questions, and so. This culture of don't ask questions was brought in 
And so that these primal mechanisms of like, oh, stick with the group kind of started to kick in in all of us, I think. And so there's a lot of people who were like, well, they would have been offering questions and possibilities um, to the debate, which would have been healthy for the debate, and it wasn't happening. So we got this kind of death spiral thing of like, you know, ants without a queen, you know, or like um, kind of negative feedback loop um, where like uh, more and more it got tighter and tighter as less and less questions were raised and got more and more dogmatic and like cultish. Um, and a lot of this was cultish. If you think about it, like the look up, if you're interested, um, look up like a 10 signs of a cult or something like that. Um, I once read some article and a, few, a bunch of them are kind of pretty eerily similar here. You, um, cutting off your connections um, with the outside world, right? Um, uh, introducing new in-group vocabulary, social distancing, um, lockdowns, um, uh, hand hygiene, um, uh, flatten the curve, um, uh, unvaccinated, even if you've got like 25 freaking vaccines in your life, you're unvaccinated if you haven't taken this last thing. Um, which is technically not a vaccine. It's a gene therapy because um, it's, well, people argue about that, but they say, you know, it's not like a permanent protection or whatever. And it's um, not even, it's not introducing like a de deactivated version of the virus. It's doing a different thing. It's like um, putting in something which causes your cells to create a spike protein. So that's like a different sort of technology. It's not what the previous vaccine, what we were calling vaccines was. Anyway, um, all kinds of like specialized vocabulary, uh, um, and so, you know, and there's not being able to ask questions. Um, there's, there's a bunch of things which are a bit odd about this, you know. Um, so that's something to mention. But um, so where were we? We were saying uh, censorship. Right. So, yeah, the self-censorship from um, not wanting to be judged by your family, your friends, your colleagues, and just thinking like, oh, my job like I, uh, I wasn't really talking about a lot of this with my colleagues. Just so I was like, look, I need, I don't want to destabilize my job. And then that was something I had to struggle with it a bit. Like, mm. and I kind of, kind of decided in the end, like I wouldn't raise it, but if it came up in conversation, I would be honest. And that's kind of what I've done. But, um, but, uh, you know, like it was a hard thing where you're like, cause then it's kind of like selling your soul, you know, like if you're not willing to be honest, they ask you a question and you give an answer, which you don't believe. There's a danger that, you're going to start believing that answer that you didn't believe that it kind of like you start becoming the person you're pretending to be, you know? And, um, and, uh, so, and then with friends, you know, like people not wanting to lose friends or they bring it up and then the friends turn on them a bit, but then maybe if the friends are not going to take you as you are, maybe you don't need it. Maybe you shouldn't be with those friends, you know, ultimately that's how I would kind of see it. Like be yourself and you'll open up their ability to be themselves. Maybe they'll go, Oh my God, man, I was actually thinking that, but I didn't want to tell anyone. I was just terrified. Maybe one of your friends says that and the other two call you guys crazy. Okay. So you, you split. You two hang out. Maybe they'll come join you later, you know, or maybe you find a third person who resonates with you. Goes, I was all alone. Oh, great. Now we got a three. And the other people find another person who's like, oh, I was in my friend group and all five of them believed in these conspiracy theories. I had to bail. Oh, great. You come with us can find new people, you know, but like re people who resonate with you and you can ch communicate honestly and channel your goodwill honestly, you know? So I think, but that was like a, thank God I um, met some friends uh, 
kind of during the pandemic who are very on point with, <laughs> or like, you know, we kind of are able to agree on a lot of things. And it's not like agreeing is the main thing, but just people who are honest and about how they felt. And I was too. And then so that's very important, I think. Um, and uh, so <laughs> shout out to the mongrels from Fingerless. Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, and so self-censorship there. Um, and then... Uh, so with uh, your job, your um, friend circle, etc. Um, yes, and then also um, uh, not just self-censorship, but just doing things that you don't feel are right. So not just about your speech, but compromising your right speech, but compromising your right action, doing things that you don't think you should be doing. For example, masks, um, uh, as far as I'm aware, and I've done a fair bit of research about it, not so much recently, but like, you know, like when it was more of a thing, I did a lot of research into it. And uh, the all, the independent experts, like who weren't like being paid by like these the people who were enforcing these mandates to wear a mask, they were, um, I don't think I heard any, or maybe no, there's a few who, who said defended masks, but they never really had good reasons. They could never point to scientific research. But then you had all these other experts, the majority of them, these independent people who I came across, they uh, were saying like these things, you know, it's, doesn't make sense. There's no science behind it. Um, the science we have suggests that they're a bad idea. Like they, you know, um, in general, people aren't breathing enough. <sighs> Especially breathing into the lower third of your lungs is where two thirds of the oxygen is absorbed. So if, you know, so, so yeah, um, and you know, we meant to breathe through our nose more, whereas we breathe through our mouths a lot, and then that's the general way. And then you have people covering their mouths with these masks, you know? And so, I mean, maybe those contributing to people breathing through their nose more. I don't know. But um, or maybe they're just through their mouth just inefficiently, you know? But um, it seems like, you know, and then you have people who like, you know, they're showing like how this is ridiculous. They're like, they put on a mask and they, they've taken some smoke. Oh, no, no. I think there is like a cold morning in England or whatever. They put on the mask or like two masks and they just breathe out and you just see this cloud pass right through the, the uh, mask, you know? So it's like, that's not st stopping any they start stopping very little uh gases flowing through there the viruses are so small that they would be like the equivalent of erecting a, a wire link a chain link fence wire link fence to try to stop mosquitoes this doesn't make any sense right the counter argument on the other side you'd, they would say well to be fair you know say it doesn't make sense well okay the other side would say i think um that they are often contained in globules of like a phlegm or like water or whatever that they would be bigger and so it might stop them getting through but then they did studies of the masks, and I believe um, proper like N95 masks that work, they stopped the virus getting through, I think. But um, other masks like did uh, like diddly squat, you know, like it was like f something like 40% or 20% uh, of the virus or whatever got stopped, and then a huge amount got out. And But anyway, there was some study that said, um, or was it a study? I can't remember, but that um, people needed to be talking face to face with someone say an infected person would have to be face to face talking to you for two minutes right next to you for you to have a chance of getting infected by that way apparently but then how are people getting infected if that's true i mean i don't know um was it just from being inside and sharing air as we we're all told stay inside and in hospitals maybe that's where it's happening maybe it wasn't really happening outside there's also evidence that like uh uv light was killing the virus so like outside in the daytime people weren't actually getting infected 
Look at all the huge black rights, uh, Black Lives Matter protests, which were allowed, bizarrely. No protests or no public congregations allowed. People were getting in trouble, you know, for going surfing. And the cops were like, you know, um, filling in skate parks with sand so people couldn't skate and, you know, warding off playgrounds so kids couldn't go play and stuff. But then you're allowed to go riot and burn down cities for some hypothetical, you know, moral claim or whatever. Um, and there was no huge surge in cases after that. And that was allowed. It's like, I think, you know, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but back to the masks, uh, they were always, they were never used for viruses in all the history of modern medicine. We've had masks for a long time. They were never used to con uh, when dealing with someone who's got the flu or de even deadly viruses, you know, because they knew they don't work. There was no evidence of it. Um, and uh, they used them for fluids, like during surgery, to prevent, um, say, the doctor breathing out into the open wound, you know, um, getting some sort of water globules in there or getting blood up, you know, something squirted, you know, getting on your face or something. Um, so they were, that was what they were used for. They weren't used for any, like, viruses. Um, so then they were brought out and even people, members of the WHO, someone said early on, probably, you know, realized later they shouldn't have, but um, that they were a psychological thing, that they were being used to keep people calm and to help them feel that they were doing something useful. But that just seems kind of bizarre. Like, I mean, because you're not calming people down through, like, you know, the messaging on, like, in the media or, like, telling people to go meditate or, you know, get better exercise. And then here's another thing. All the – so there was a mask. And then – so wearing masks was made mandatory. And I had a very hard time doing that. I felt like I was um, participating in a collective psychosis. And it really kind of hurt me. Um, so – <laughs> be honest i stopped doing it uh, at a certain point i just started you know living in accord with the law of nature you could say so i followed the law of my conscience um based upon diligent intense study of science um and i would like to think that that would put me in good stead in a dictatorship say if i was in nazi germany hopefully and i would i'd do the same thing and not just follow rules because they're rules um but um but anyway but it took me a while anyway. Uh, uh, but uh, so, um, and when doing that, here's an, an interesting thing, right? I think a lot of people were doing it. And so you think, oh, everyone's on board with this. Everyone's wearing the mask. They think it makes sense. Oh, maybe I'm the crazy one. Or, oh man, damn, maybe humanity is kind of just not really awake enough. Damn, you know? Um, uh, or you start questioning yourself. But then um, a lot of those people, they look at you and they think the same thing. So, how do we know who's wearing the mask because they want to and who's wearing them because they're forced to, you know? Um, and so it was really messed with your head and made it hard to know, you know, what was going on. Um, almost a bit like 1984, you know, like who can you trust kind of thing or who do you, how do you, no one's allowed to talk about um, to voice their dissent. So you don't know how many people are dissenting, which prevents collaboration to kind of alter, um, not overthrow the government or something, but just to, you know, retune the public policy into into line with rationality and science and what actually makes sense, rather than getting in some death spiral of cultish dogma. You know, um, which is what you know. Some people would say happened. Some people would say no. We were just doing the best we could. But you know, either way. Um, so, but with the mask, like I remember from my personal experience, thinking like, like you know, it wasn't a good idea. Seeing kids wearing them really broke my heart because. Kids need, um, apart from the thing of play to, for the development, socializing and play, um, 
they uh, in order to you know learn how to set boundaries learn how to work together and compete all these kinds of things um social you know reading expression uh each other's faces and emotional intelligence um yeah so that was a big part the masks got in the way of the um, um reading faces and um so there'd be a little kid now make eye contact with the kid smile hey little guy the world loves you this is a world of love we're building you know oh wait i've got a mask on he can't see me smiling <laughs> but ah uh, you know brutal and uh you know children wearing them and um you know and just the symbolism of that it's you're gagging yourself you know you're unable to speak you know i think unconsciously that symbolism resonates with all of us you know um and uh you know so you know almost a blindfold you know almost as bad um but uh and uh so but but then say i would um for a while i was like well i would just stop wearing this but then there were people around me and I was like, look, even though I know I'm not putting them in danger by doing this, because I've, I've read the science and there's a bunch of very intelligent, knowledgeable experts who are saying, this is not based on science. This is just a, a mistake, this whole thing. And um, basically it seemed, that's been borne out by evidence as far as I'm aware. Um, so I was uh, listening to the real experts, in my opinion. Um, and uh, you know, if it worked, I definitely would have worn it happily. But as the thing was that I I knew it wasn't based on from my from what I could tell, it it wasn't right, you know. And you might disagree. That's fine. Like I, I if someone wants to wear them, I, I I wasn't judging them, you know. Um, I was thinking, you know, okay, that's your choice, fair enough. But for me, um, you know, it felt like wrong, and it felt like I was violating my conscience and becoming a weaker person, and that I was contributing to, I was a threat to civilization. I was a threat to humanity. I was a threat to uh, my people. Um, as a threat to love and goodness by contributing to this thing which is causing big problems because I think, you know, especially for the children um, and just in general is one cr crucial linchpin of this kind of cultish behavior um, from my opinion. So that's kind of like what I was going through and then, um, but then when I'd think of like taking it off and not wearing it, I had to deal with even though I knew or I believed that it wasn't hurting others um, that they would think, many of them would think I was hurting them and just that itself would be hurting them. I would hurt them because they would think that I was willing to hurt them. That would cause them anger or sadness or fear or disgust or whatever. And I didn't want to cause that for them. And I was like, but it's an illusion. They're just misunderstanding it. But, uh, but the compassion in me wants to, maybe I'll just do it for them. But then I'm kind of hurting them because I'm making them think it's normal and making them think it's okay. So oh, which way am I, you know, so there's this conundrum, you know. Then also I said I wasn't judging other people. But you notice I was judging them sometimes. Like I'd see them and go like, uh, you know, and especially after once it became voluntary, you know, um, or at the beginning when it was voluntary, so, or maybe mandatory in some places, which I was resenting, but then voluntary in the street or whatever, and someone's wearing it, I would think like, you know, well, there was like a thought that popped up like, oh, you're part of the problem, you know? You're causing th these problems for us all and for the children and all these terrible things. Um, and... Uh, but then they were looking at me and probably thinking the same thing because I wasn't wearing a mask. And so I'd be aware of that, like, hmm, okay, right. And like, well, we can't just be judging each other. So it would be like an internal kind of battle to, okay, that I went through of like, and, you know, I think I did pretty well at it, but I don't know, um, definitely not perfectly, full disclosure, you know, of like not judging other people and just being like, look, you know, um, they've got a different point of view. Either they've been exposed to different information or um, they've just got a different, maybe they have, but they just didn't believe in it or whatever, you know, or 
Um, or maybe they've got some really serious health conditions, so they just think, well, I'm just going to take the chance anyway and put it on just in case it's helpful, um, even though I'd think it's probably causing problems because you're lowering your absorption of oxygen. Um, so, yeah, and so uh, that was this thing where I, and then um, in the end I would just kind of try to make overt displays of kindness <laughs> to try to, so I, so I wouldn't wear a mask. Like I wouldn't wear a mask on the bus, even though it was like you have to wear a mask on the bus. That's the law. And um, I would go sit at the back where people could avoid me if they want. I'd have the windows open and I'd just sit there, just calmly. I'd read a book. I'd just be calm. And I'd try to just embody kindness, respect, you know, um, and uh, freedom, the culture that I thought we needed to see in the world. And, um, and uh, you know, and so a lot of people would avoid me, you know, stay close to the front. Um, other people wouldn't care. Maybe they'd come closer. Um, and then... Uh, but then when I was, but, you know, I would wear it getting on the bus just so they didn't, you know, refuse me entry because I had places to go. And then getting off, you know, occasionally there was a voiceover, just a reminder to wear masks on the bus, you know, like, all right, I put it on. If they asked me to, a human asked me to, I'll do it for you, but not for some general, you know, uh, seemingly unscientific um, mandate thing that was enforced upon us without our consent. And so, and then getting off the bus, I wouldn't wear them. And I would always make an effort to go, thank you the bus driver thank you and get off or p passing people you know in the anyone does something even slightly kind of nice uh, you know or like you know allowing me to walk in front of you thank you to someone who's wearing a mask even though i'm not or whatever even it's in the street or something so i, I would kind of go towards these small acts of trying to show hey I'm not wearing a mask but that doesn't make you crazy you know so that's kind of what i ended up kind of doing i think to try to balance things out but anyway the point being you know there was these, this is just an example of some of the weird little psychological labyrinths I think we went through with COVID. I'm sure there's a bunch, you know, other people have gone through that I'm not aware of, but that would be one that was kind of part of my journey, you know. Um, now, I mentioned um, people, say, have, who are, have health problems wearing the mask and that limiting their intake of oxygen. Oxygen is extremely important for health. And this leads me to something else which is very bizarre, is that we were told to stay inside. That we all know what, you know, uh, helps... Um, to lower the spread, limit the spread, stay inside, um, wash your hands. I don't believe there's any evidence for that, actually. Or actually, there might be some evidence of that, like for preventing these things. But it seems, as far as I'm aware, so some people would say, you know, wash your hands and that prevents the virus spreading whatever, with alcohol or soap or something. But then other people were saying, other experts are saying um, that uh, it doesn't, uh, it's respiratory, uh, airborne. It doesn't, we realize, you know, maybe what, 2021 or late 2020 or something, that it, it wasn't spreading on surfaces. It was um, just, you know, air airborne. Um, and so that, but then we kept washing our hands and things. So it seemed to kind of like, again, maybe this idea of like helping people, letting people think that these little rituals were helping keep them calm or something. I don't know. Um, well, maybe there is some evidence for it's being useful. I'm not sure. But, um, but uh, yeah, so hand washing, um, social distancing, right? Or keeping a distance from people, um, and uh, 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 was that graffiti? Some graffiti. Someone says like social distancing. Um, oh yeah, some, I think someone's put like was it anti-social distancing or something? Um, uh, I can't remember. There's some hilarious graffiti. I can't remember what it was somewhere. Anyway, um, so um, uh. That wasn't very funny. So I think it was something else. <laughs> anyway, um, so and then you know, uh, staying inside, etc. So wearing masks. 
So that was told like this is like, even if it helps a little bit, we need to do these things. Um, but there's so many things. What's so bizarre um, uh, is that there were so many things low hanging fruit, which would have been very helpful, which we were never told to do. For example, right? Um, so um, sunshine, getting out. Don't stay inside where viruses spread more easily. Get outside. Get sunshine. That gives you vitamin D. Vitamin D is extremely important for your general health, specifically, also more particularly for your immune system, um, and. Even more specifically, there were studies done of um, COVID-19 patients where they, um, I think 90% of the deaths were people who were found to be extremely vitamin D deficient. And that um, it seemed that vitamin D, giving people huge amounts of vitamin D, made a big difference in preventing deaths. Um, and uh, that, that also was connected to why there was, at least at some point, a greater rate of deaths among the African-American community than the other, you know, the white American community quote-unquote white or whatever that means, um, European ancestry or whatever, um, that uh, they, um, because seemingly, apart from potentially poverty and, you know, diet and stuff, you know, you know there's more, higher rates of poverty among the African-Americans. Apart from that, they, they hypothesized that uh, the, um, because the um, vitamin, like a, the greater amount of melanin in darker skin, like in, if your, your ancestors were growing, you know, um, developing in Africa, living in Africa, evolving, you know, over time, um, that the, uh, the, the skin evolved and like adapted. So to produce darker pigment, because that prevents too much sunlight getting in. And so you don't get cancers, right? It's like really strong sun. Okay. So you have, um, you know, your skin can, uh, absorb enough vitamin D without getting too much. Whereas in like Northern climates, or whatever, like Norwegians or something, you know, they're really, really pale, because there's like no sunlight in the north, you know, and you're getting no vitamin D in winter, almost no vitamin D. So it's like making like it's like these, you know, pale solar panels, the skin, so it absorbs as much as possible, like almost no melanin, right? Um, and that, but then if you get Africans and move them to northern climates, then um, they will often have vitamin D defi deficiency. So they'll need a supplement or to get it through eating a lot of the right food. Um, but that wasn't mentioned, vitamin D deficiency, which would be, a huge way, more than hand washing or masks, or whatever, that'd be a huge way to prevent the virus spreading. Because if people have very high vitamin D in their system, they're not going to be likely, even if they're exposed to the virus, they're not going to be likely to catch it. Um, they're going to be less likely. And then also um, less likely to get sick and be a burden on the hospital system or, um, or you know, have it for a longer period of time and then spread it more um, or to die, you know, again, being an even heavier burden on the system and dying and you know, causing all the problems that that causes for everyone, not least the person who has died. Um, so that wasn't mentioned, which is highly unscientific and highly unusual. Um, also nutrition, which is a general thing in medicine. Unfortunately, it seems medicine has become quite um, pharmaceuticalized, like under the, you know, there's all kinds of influence, um, you know, uh, where it seems for like uh, decades now, it's been increasingly moving towards a model of, um, you know, surgery and drugs, basically, and not so. But then you have more recently, in recent decades, you've had this kind of rebirth of the traditional wisdom of, like, you know, uh, as uh, Hippocrates said, the guy who the Hippocratic Oath comes from, to first do no harm, you know, um, and then you know do good if you can, but first do no harm. So um, that's the oath that they take the doctors, um, and. Uh, so he said, let food be thy medicine and medicine thy food. So, you know, basically, you know, the father of, you know, medicine kind of thing saying like, uh, 
you know, be uh, food is a, a very healing thing and it's kind of natural technology we can use to heal ourselves. And um, a lot of the health, the thing is a lot of most health problems come from being in, out of balance with nature. You don't have enough of these, you don't have enough salt in your body. You don't have enough vitamin K. You don't have enough magnesium, you know, these minerals and vitamins, um, fats, protein, um, you know, in general, carbohydrates isn't, isn't a big issue, but like, you know, having some energy through carbs or whatever. Um, so uh, these sorts of things, um, having enough probiotics, maybe like a good gut flora. This is all, uh, nutrition has a huge influence on uh, health. Um, and so a lot of health problems have been healed and are being healed by functional medicine or holistic medicine, as they will contrast that with allopathic medicine, which is kind of the medicine which has been focused kind of on treating people like robots, like meat robots. We can just tweak things and it's all your genes is causing everything. But it's like, wait a minute, like diet. There's all so much scientific evidence now that diet has a huge influence. Diet and exercise um, and sleep uh, and uh, your mind state, state of mind, like uh, your mood, um, has a huge, huge influence on your health. And whether you, um, and so you can start um, increasing your intake of nutritious food, um, start sleeping more, start exercising more, and you will heal your many, almost all of your health problems can be healed by doing this. Um, and uh, almost all health problems can be avoided by doing this in advance. But again, this is an opportunity which was missed. All the health, talking about burdens on the hospitals, you know, all this general chronic um, sickness in our society, especially obesity, things like this, there's no need for judgment. But it was such a great opportunity to say, look, everyone, we're all in this together. We know this is scary. Here's something we can do. We can all get healthier. And that would have been an amazing way to two birds with one stone, um, limit the spread of the virus and prevent this thing kind of ruining us and also kind of deal with this longer-term problem which we'd been struggling and scratching our heads about how to deal with. Wasn't done. Seems like a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, and uh, I don't really see how you could, what the you know the other side of that would be. Like, why wouldn't you have told people about that? Except potentially that, you know, there is a very powerful lobby. The pharmaceutical lobby is very powerful, um, both on government in America. I think they're the number one think more even than the, like the military and oil and gas the number one um lobbyer like um and funder of like election campaigns and things maybe not election campaigns but like lobbying um like spending mu huge amounts of money whining and dining and you know whatever um donating to politicians and trying to you know pretty pro quo one hand washes the other kind of thing um so um and then also like advertising like i think cnn i think 70 uh, percent of their money their advertising budget comes from which is almost all the money comes from Pfizer or the pharmaceutical industry. I think, I think apparently in news hour, it's even more. Um, and, uh, then you have, uh, yeah, in, in general around the world, a lot of media and governments, are there's a lot of influence of the pharmaceutical lobby. It's a very, very profitable business, uh, or industry. And, um, you know, I'm sure they do a lot of good, but then it's just everything, you know, in moderation, including moderation, but <laughs> everything in moderation, like, uh, they, so, you know, you can take, um, fire is good for cooking your meal or warming your house, but it can burn down your house, you know, or it can, um, so, you know, you need to be you know, aware of how to use these tools, you know? And so it seems like big pharma can perhaps was lobbying. Maybe that's what, like the overall, um, you know, and they make a lot of money off this paradigm of if people are healing themselves, you know, not to be cynical, but I mean, one side, you could say, look, they just think they're doing what, what's best, and that's just humans doing what 
humans try to humans like to think that they're doing good so they just think they're doing well and this is just a you know they're not aware of maybe some of the newer science that's showing that like a lot of there's a lot of pr problems with and that there's a lot of things that can be fixed through you know nutrition and lifestyle changes but on the other side you would have to admit that it's possible <coughs> that it's a uh, it's basically it's going to cost them the industry to shrink enormously. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs and have to find new industries of something productive, find some other real problem to solve, which would be good for us, freeing up labor to go solve other problems for us. But um, in the short term, the individuals might not be happy because, oh, we're losing our jobs, I've trained for this, you know, I've got this reputation, I've got the status, I've got this comfortable, got my lifestyle that I've worked hard to build, you know, and fair enough. Um, but uh, that, you know, if everyone starts getting healthy, that's you know this huge industry is going to shrink. It's like war. If if the if the Americans didn't keep invading all these countries, <laughs> this huge industry would just sh shrink enormously, like the military-industrial complex, which Eisenhower was warning about in his farewell speech, and JFK was warning about. Um, although they seem to stop warning about after that, interestingly, huh? Okay. Um, so um, yeah. Uh, so you know, and. Big Pharma, unfortunately, there is a track record of fraud, a lot of fraud, at least in America. Um, like the biggest fine ever paid in American history was from um, Pfizer, paying out, like I think, more than $1 billion for intentionally lying to the customers, fraud. There's um, so Vioxx was one thing, I think, where it was like some medication they knew was causing deaths, and they said, well, we'll make the, the costs of, I think it was that the costs of lawsuits was less than um, the cost, the, the profit they'd be making, so they just did it anyway. I think that's what it was. And they're not the only ones. There's like a long checkered past in Big Pharma in America of, you know, fraud, which potentially, um, well, yeah, I mean, who knows? But that, um, that is the case. Uh, so, and uh, so why wasn't diet and exercise all mentioned so much? Perhaps it's the influence of the pharmaceutical lobby. Um, maybe some other reason, more innocent, I don't know. Um, now, um, so... Uh, also, so sleep, yeah. One night of bad sleep, I believe, um, lowers your T-cell count. Um, I don't know what that is, but something connected to your immune system by, I think, like 50% or something, something huge. And so um, getting good sleep is essential for being have a healthy, having a healthy immune system. And um, we weren't being told that either. Um, follow the science. Well, tell us the science first, you know. Um, and uh, so, like... Uh, and a lot of people watching the news or up on their phones getting all this blue light straight into your eyes, which makes it harder to fall asleep. It suppresses the production of melatonin, which just makes you sleepy and is very healthy. You know, um, people who are, for one, among other things, you know, rates of cancer are higher in night shift workers because they're, they're sleeping during the day when there's light and you're not able to, brain doesn't produce as much melatonin, if any. So both for getting asleep and then also having a healthy regenerative sleep, um, you need to be uh, sleeping a lot and ideally, uh, yeah, not staring into screens close to bedtime. Maybe turn them off an hour or two beforehand would be ideal. Um, and then, uh, so, but that would be one easy way we could have done as well. So we've got diet, exercise, also improving your immune system um, and other things in general, even your brain, like very good for your cognitive health. Um, uh, and so then, and uh, yes, the sleep then also um uh apart from the benefits of meditation and mindfulness and you know yoga like for general health which would 
uh, enable your immune your immune systems connected to your general health. So that would maybe less directly, but that should you know improve it. Um, and you know lowering stress um, lowers the you know cr- chronic cortisol is not healthy for you. And if you're stressed all the time, you'll have chronic cortisol. You're in a um, sympathetic uh, your sympathetic nervous system is activated rather than your parasympathetic nervous system. So you're in like fight or flight mode when you're like stressed. So your blood flow increases to your extremities, your like limbs, so that you can run away basically or attack or whatever. But that takes away blood flow from your vital organs. Um, and so that um, destabilizes your health. So if that's a, a kind of permanent state, then that's not healthy for you. Um, you're in, in nature, there'd be up oh, animal to chase or run away from. And you'd have that um, sympathetic nervous uh, arousal. And then it goes away when the situation's resolved and you can regenerate. We, a lot of people weren't getting that peace, that re- regenerative phase of the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so, and then, so mindfulness should have been encouraged more, I'd say, um, you know, ideally. Uh, then also uh, the, the Wim Hof method. So this is, brings us to oxygen, right? Um, Wim Hof is uh, the Iceman, his nickname. He's a Dutchman and uh, he's been come fam- famous all around the world. He's got um, people who are practicing his method all around the world now. I guess he originally came onto the stage largely through the Joe Rogan podcast. If you're very, if you're interested, go watch the first podcast with him on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. I, he's the, all his podcasts are great, but that one was really good. Uh, where Wim kind of you know laid out his method, and then he had, he had one follow up one I think uh, where he kind of talked about some extra stuff. But basically, he's broken like 30 world records for all these crazy things. He's gone up, climbed up Mount Everest just in shorts and shoes, no shirt, no oxygen, nothing, um, and he's. Uh, you know, hung from a bridge in winter from one finger, like for like quite a while. Somehow, he's run a marathon both in the Arctic above the Arctic Circle. Again, shorts and shoes, nothing else, no water, um, and also in the Sahara Desert, a marathon in shorts and shoes. That's all. Um, he has been injected with E. coli, and uh, whereas all the volunteers got violently ill, he used uh, his method, which I'm going to tell you about. To, um, to control his immune system, and he had no response. He was completely fine. He stayed in ice for almost two hours. I think it was a, uh, an hour 57 minutes or something um, uh, with keeping using his method to keep his core body temperature stable in a, a tub of ice, right? Um, there's a bunch of things. He keeps The list is like, you know, there's a bunch of things he's done. So, so there's, he was doing, breaking all these world records, and so he came to the attention of scientists who were like, okay, let's figure out what's going on here, you know, prove or disprove it, whatever. And they found that actually it's totally legit. And they published a lot of things like, um, what's that university of, um, I can't remember the name, some university in, in the Netherlands that was like doing a lot of work with them. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, and a bunch of doc, um, scientists around the world have been studying it and uh, what he's done. And, the, you know, he was always makes pains to sh- say like, anyone can do this. It's not just me. I'm not some X-man. Like, there's just a human thing you can do, and I've trained people to do it, and I can do it. Give me a strain, you know, strangers, volunteers, I'll do it. So in these studies, like say the E. coli thing, um, he did the same thing. He trained them where got some volunteers, you know, they gave to him just random people or whatever, and within I think ten days they were able to do the same thing. They were like, okay, we're ready, and they um, and they were exposed to it, and they were, two were fine. So basically, uh, just you're probably wondering, the method is basically breathing, um, cold exposure, and mindset or you could say like willpower mindset so it's kind of some i don't quite understand that element as much but it's some sort of probably harnessing the placebo effect you would think 
using the power of your mind, directing your mind properly to enhance your health. Um, as we all know, every science, gold standard scientific study is based upon the um, making sure it's not the placebo effect because the placebo effect is where you, if your body thinks it's something's um, healing you, it will heal you to some extent. So you give people, in half the study, you give them a sugar pill, the other half you give them the real pill. Maybe the people with the sugar pill, they will on average heal more than nothing, which is crazy. It's like magic, you know, because their body thinks they're being healed. Um, and so maybe it's 10% improvement. But then if the, the real pill you give them only has a 10% improvement, you know, ah, it's just the placebo. There's no, there's no real effect from the pill. It's just like the same sugar. But if it's a 20% improvement, you go, aha, this drug is 10% effective. Or it improves 50%. Oh, great, the drug is 40% effective. Very good. You know, So that's how they do gold standard science, right? Um, so the mind does have this power to control the body somehow. It's really crazy, you know? Um, so that's probably what the willpower thing is, mindset. I'm not entirely sure. Um, the other two, uh, cold exposure, um, just ex exposing the body to extreme cold, whether it's a cold shower a day, you know, it's very good for you, very fun. I recommend getting into it. Check out Wim's stuff if you're interested. Um, or, you know, ice baths and stuff like this going into, you know, swimming in icy cold waters. Um, a, a lot of athletes are doing this now. It's very good for you. It releases cold shock proteins, some, which is, I don't understand exactly what it is, but very good for your body and imp improving your immune system and general health. Um, muscle toning, fat loss, brain function, increases um, dopamine. So you can do that um, and have enhanced motivation through the rest of the day. It's a bunch of things. Very good for you. Um, the breathing, like basically deep breathing. I did three rounds of it just before this podcast just to help me get more into the groove. Um, basically, in each round, normally you do 30 deep breaths. So you go... Etc. So you're breathing in 100%, try it as deeply as possible from the belly, sort of belly, chest, head kind of thing. Um, and uh, so fully in, letting go, fully in, letting go. So you're not breathing out fully, maybe breathing out just until you're relaxed, you know, 70%, 80%, whatever. But then breathing in fully, 100%. And doing that, you kind of, you do that like 30 times, you're basically charging your body up with oxygen. And so then you stop and you breathe out and you just stay that until you need to breathe again. And then you breathe in. And you'll be able to do it for like, at first, a minute. Then round two, a minute and a half. Round three, two minutes. I've done it, I think three and a half was my longest. And the crazy thing is you don't need to breathe. You're completely, you feel totally fine. The thing is, normally we don't have any savings in the bank, so to speak. We need to be breathing in more. It's like you're working day to, you know, living hand to mouth with oxygen. But you can kind of have some savings in the bank where if you're breathing deeply, you have a store where you could just stop breathing and you feel totally fine. Your body doesn't go into, oh, I need to breathe now. It's like, no, we've got plenty of oxygen. No problem. So it's very nice. I highly recommend it. It's very interesting at a minimum, you know. But um, by doing that, that also, it makes your body um, turn more alkaline, less acidic. The pH level of the body changes. And it um, so therefore lowers inflammation, um, which is at the root of most illnesses. Um, a lot, you know, like eating too much sugar and carbohydrates, for example, like bread and stuff, for example, or too much alcohol increases inflammation. And that's where a lot of health problems seem to come from. D diet, you know, too much inflammation in particular, as well as too much hydrogenated oils, like vegetable oils, like seed oils, like, um, you know, or um, trans fats, uh, the problem there, you know, um, or, um, you know, overly processed food, that kind of stuff. But um, inflammation is a big cause of like a disease and um, the Wim Hof method directly uh, addresses it. And so he was saying, like, um, you know, like, uh, let's, we should bring this, you know, spread this even more, you know, um, 
through like it's being adopted in schools and around the world. You know, people there's people teaching it in every you know country or many many countries because um, it's been proven by science and by anecdotal evidence um, to be very easy and very effective at improving people's health. Um, and he was trying to get it. You know, of course, say yeah, I'm here to help. Let's spread this. You know, no one uh, you know kind of really took him on board. No governments. Um, like, you know, I keep track of him to some extent on Instagram or whatever and, you know, YouTube and, you know, there was no thing where he was mentioning, yeah, this government brought me online. So as far as I'm aware, no one want, was interested, which is very strange. Um, and he was even saying with COVID that um, he felt confident he could be given it and he'd be fine because he'd control his immune reaction by basically through the breathing method, you're able to alter your brain chemistry. And so with enough practice, you're able to say, change the levels of certain chemicals in your body, uh, which can you know, say uh, something comes in. I don't understand exactly how it works, but the E. coli, that's what he said he, he did. Like he was, you know, use his breathing to kind of alter his uh, brain chemistry in order to avoid some sort of um, kind of, I don't know, sickness response. And so he was somehow able to deal with it. I don't know. Um, or maybe it was the willpower thing. I don't know. Anyway, but um, but volunteers were able to do it. So I guess it would be the breathing, you'd think. Anyway, um, so he was saying, yeah, give, either give me the virus live or... Um, Put it in, like, you know, you've got a bunch of universities have my blood in a test tube. I've done the, my breathing and stuff, and they've kept a sample of my blood. Put it in there. See what happens, you know. And, um, and But no one was interested. Just So, you know, again, it kind of seems like a sad, missed opportunity. And, I mean, a lot of people probably, their lives would have been saved or injuries avoided or, um, you know, the, the virus, like, not been better contained and we could have gotten out of this nasty situation with all the damage you know we've already listed of uh, lockdowns um, being less you know lengthy if um, these kind of things like Wim Hof method diet exercise sleep mindfulness were all kind of used these simple cheap things and also less debt you know we would have been able to deal with this problem much more effectively um, which then okay I suppose leads us to the discussion of uh the, the 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 money, but also the solutions which were proposed and brought in post you know the um, the lockdowns, which basically revolved around um, vaccination. So um, one thing to mention first is that before, apart from the like, I've got nothing um, against vaccines in per se. I think um, uh, there is definitely um, some people make the case that. I think like these current vaccines, um, there's some issues, uh, it seems to me. But again, we're not here to judge. We're here just today just to lay the things side by side. So I'm going to stick to that. But I would say um, before, apart from the vaccine, I think there were other medical um, treatments available, which is something else that was also censored. And, um, and uh, I believe that was censored. Uh, and definitely kind of not encouraged, which is there was um, monoclonal antibodies, which were developed where... I can't remember exactly how they did it, but um, they proved very effective. I think they were given to Trump when he got um, COVID. So, you know, good enough for the president of the United States, you know. Um, and uh, I think he was given them. But, um, the, but the, and then uh, there was these other combinations, like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who, um, who's, you know, very eminent doctor, and he was uh, a uh, cardiologist. So and he was uh, the most published person in history, in his field, in history. So um, very, very, very active hardworking and intelligent um, doctor. So the, his speciality is, I think, the connection between the heart and, uh, was it the liver? Something. But there's some sort of, like, element branch of, like, you know, medicine. And he was, like, you know, 
the, the behemoth in that branch, you know. And he, he's uh, one of the sometimes regarded as like one of the foremost expert on how to treat COVID. Um, so if someone's someone's here, they've got COVID. What do we do? He seems to be the top guy who understands the theory and practice of what to do. Um, and he saved countless lives uh, through um, and uh, directly himself, and then through spreading the knowledge to other people. These protocols. Um, so, um, so yeah, he uh, is Amer- an American guy. Um, he uh, his so he'd be using I think monoclonal antibodies, but then also um, I think nasal sprays. I think that was a preventative thing. Like there's like these uh, chlorine, not was it chlorine um, or certain things like you can use where it's like a spray you put in your nose and I think they were being used in Bangladesh or something and very effectively where um, if you thought you know you're in danger in COVID you could do it and that if you got COVID it would make it a far less severe syndrome like you'd have a far um, better response to it Um, they were being used Um, um, so this is medical interventions which weren't vaccinations which um, were just also not really you know um, encouraged or even talked about so there's that, there's the monoclonal antibodies, and there's all these other um, repurposed medications where, you know, often when there's a problem, the scientists or, and doctors will go, okay, let's try to use, I think it's off-label use, where they'll say, this might work. It kind of makes sense that this could have an, a beneficial effect. Let's try it out, and, you know, and they'll, you know, do because just this is a dangerous situation, we need to do something. And um, it seems like a kind of recipe of various um, uh, drugs where it was um, gathered, and you could find it online if you look up Peter, Dr. Peter McCullough. Um, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast as well. He's been on a lot of podcasts now. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's things like ivermectin, which Dr. Peter Corey, I think, no, uh, Peter Corey, is it? Rory, yeah, Peter Corey, I think, was talking about, although some people say that ivermectin's not been as effective as they originally, some people thought, but I don't know. Anyway, but the Peter McCullough, I don't think he uses ivermectin. He uses these other things. But... Um, and it seems to be pretty effective, actually. Um, and uh, including hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> you might think, oh, isn't that the thing Trump used? Isn't that like bleach? Uh, actually, it's been used um, to treat river blindness in Africa, saving millions of people from blindness. Um, it's an, I think it was an anti-parasitic, I think, something like that. It kills parrots from parasite. Um, and so very safe, been used so many times. Um, it was over-the-counter available and, you know, it was used a lot. Um, and uh, it seemed, apparently does show effectiveness for COVID to some extent, I believe. So but that, of course, was then, you know, lambasted and ridiculed. Um, but as far as I know, I think it actually was effective um, and uh, to some extent in help, you know. Uh, and then, uh, so, yeah, there are other things. But um, but his opinion, he's at this doctor, he's kind of saying, look, you know, when he was kind of pressed on like, you know, the bigger issues, his kind of opinion was like, well, I mean, it's kind of unfortunately forced to c- conclude there's a bit of um, corporate greed going on um, and that there are all these cheap medicines, which were like, you know, they're already, the patents are over. So cheap would be cheap enough for the pa- taxpayers to foot the bill. We could all you know, have these things um, and kind of control the spread of the virus and help protect people or whatever. Um, but they were, you know, monoclonal antibodies that Biden administration like prevented um, was cutting off the supply of them to different states. It's like, well, why are you doing that? Why don't you just let them do what they want if they think it's useful? Um, so, um, and uh, so, you know, unfortunately, that was, you know, seems like that might be possible. That's also the conclusion of, um, I believe, Mike Yellen. Um, it was the, he was the head of, um, global head of research for respiratory illnesses for Pfizer. 
COVID-19 is a respiratory illness. So this man was the head scientist for Pfizer, okay, globally for this, you know, relevant to COVID-19. His, and he had a great podcast with Majid Nawas um, where on Radical, his show Radical, where he kind of, really crazy actually, but he basically laid out how the vaccines they developed um, for various reasons uh, were just a terrible idea and are actually quite dangerous in his opinion. Now I'll have, I'll have to say this because, um, again, being balanced, and I don't want to, not here to be doom or gloom or scaring people. I think in general, people are healthy enough that you can take substances which are dangerous or not that healthy alcohol on up to like you know even mild poisons or whatever and you can be fine because the body is very powerful um so i think most people um uh, even if that is the case that these vaccines are um can be dangerous for for a large number of people and that does seem to be the case unfortunately perhaps because they were rushed you know um normally it takes 10 to 15 years to develop them these took one year um, and the trials were very short and a small number of people. Um, and there's problems with the trial data. Pfizer's been hiding the trial data. They tried to get it hi um, hidden for 75 years. And then a judge ordered them, no, you have to release it. And then they've been slowly re releasing it. And it shows kind of some crazy things like, you know, people dying in trials and things. And so they're trying to hide some of this information. So unfortunately, it looks like there is some funny business afoot. Um, nonetheless, just to make this point up front, um, if you've taken the vaccine, I don't think you need to be worried. It's like, if anything, that's the nocebo effect. That's likely to make you sick if you start worrying about, oh, am I sick? Am I sick? Instead, no, assume you're healthy. That's the placebo effect. You can help use your mind to assure yourself that, you know, I am healthy. That's what I often do, you know, like be like, the body is strong. I'll tell myself if I'm starting to get sick, the body is strong. And I find, you know, I, I don't usually get sick very, very bad, you know. Um, so I think that helps. Um, and, you know, the placebo effect's a real thing, you know. It's the, taken into account by gold standard scientific studies. So, and I think, um, but even if it is the case that this vaccine is, can, um, it, it's not for everyone that it causes problems. It's a minority, it seems to be a minority of people who have problems with it. The majority seem to be fine, but then you might say, well, there might be some longer term problems or smaller, less noticeable problems, right? But I think there's many things in our environment causing that, you know, there's like the quality of our water, like I filter my water with charcoal, you know, bamboo, uh, charcoal uh, st sticks, like Kyoban, Japanese things, you, just, you know, whatever. That's my method of filtering. There's other ways of filtering water. There's the type of food you eat. There's there's all, there's all kinds of things where we're getting these negative uh, health influences. And yet the body is strong. We're able to deal with it to some extent, you know. So it's just, doesn't need to be perfect, right? So, and you can't unvaccinate yourself. So if you're already vaccinated, I think some people will think they, they don't um, want to even consider that there could be some downside to it because they've already taken it. It's like, well, I should just, ignorance is bliss. But I don't think ignorance is bliss. Wisdom is bliss. Consciousness is bliss. That's the truth, you know. And um, But uh, fear isn't bliss. But guess what? It's not ignorance or fear. There's consciousness and peace, you know, peaceful consciousness. That's totally possible. <clears throat> just stare deep into the blue of my shirt. You know? Um, so uh, I forgive you if you're not able to because you're listening to this and not able to see the beautiful sky blue of this very peaceful shirt but um be that as it may um so i think uh yeah it's like the fact is if you've taken the vaccine um and if you have a health problem then you know that of course it's a it's a great shame um and uh you know but i think even the, uh but f for most and um for most people like 
it doesn't seem like they have problems, you know. Um, however, um, for those who do have problems, you know, of course, can be pretty intense, not just because you've got these problems, but because, you know, there's that sense of betrayal of, like, I was told that this was safe and effective. And then it seems like it's not really that effective. Like, that's why the boosters were needed. Like, they, they were effective, it seems, for a few months. And then the effectiveness of the vaccines has plummets by, like, 50% or even 90%, I think, in one of them. Um, maybe not 90, but it went... No, I think from 90% effective down to like 20 or 30% effective, one of them. And the others was like 80% effective, went down to 50%, something, you know, I think it varies, right? Seems like the Johnson & Johnson one, which did cause um, blood clotting, I think. That has been like the less least effective up front, but then the longest, most sustainably effective compared to the others, I think. Um, but uh, but they all seem to have problems um, and then none of them are perfect. That's why vaccines, maybe you take it and you're done, you know? Um, but these, uh, or at least you take another in 10 years, maybe, you know, but like they're meant to be like long-term uh, effective, but then the, which is the whole thing of like, you know, why if this had been studied and there was no crisis, they would have tried it and gone, oh, we need another one six months later. Okay, no, 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 we need a new recipe. This isn't working. And that's why, you know, normally it takes 10 to 15 years, both to make sure it's effective and that it's safe. I think also for the, on the safety front, this wouldn't have been approved because in older people, maybe it might be, getting vaccinated might um, increase your chances of health, you know, potentially. Um, but then again, there are all these other treatments which weren't used. So I think perhaps we, we didn't need them. We could just use those treatments, um, which had a, had a history of use and we knew the risks, you know, um, not to mention health, diet, exercise, Wim Hof method, all these things. So I don't think we needed the vaccines actually. But but nonetheless, um, if you know, older people, to be totally balanced and fair, I think there's more of a case to be made that an Alex Berenson, the journalist, the former New York Times journalist, very interesting. He writes on Substack. You can get that for free. It's like Substack's like a lot of journalists have gone solo because their institutions have kind of gone rogue a bit um, and aren't allowing them to, you know, kind of censoring them. So um, there's a lot of like um, Barry Weiss is another New York Times journalist who's gone solo. Um, and uh, there's, you know, a bunch of journalists you can find on Substack. Um, Matt Taibbi, really good journalist um and so some of them you have to pay for the thing but a lot of them will have some free stuff and then some paid stuff so check out that alex berenson very good he got a book called pandemia as well which goes into a lot of the history of like the, the way this pro story's progressed and a lot of the craziness and the lies in the covid era um but uh so uh yes um so where were we saying um that tell me where were we <laughs> um so we're saying okay uh, the journalists um uh substack um wasn't saying alex berenson i was saying oh yeah alex berenson first i was saying so um uh talked about oh yeah right very good so the uh that the he made the case the point that like um well the case that like actually to be fair there um for older people there's some sort of case of like yeah it may have helped overall reduce you know, hospitalizations and deaths for them um, compared to the injuries from them. But he's saying that for younger people, for under 50, totally ineffective, he, he says, um, and that uh, caused more harm than good because a lot of, um, especially young, uh, young boys, have been getting myocarditis, which is heart inflammation. Um, and some of them had, had, need, had heart transplants, like 16-year-olds, because they got vaccinated, it seems. Like soon after, you know, so... You, I'm not sure if you could say for certain, but it's like, I mean, that's very, that doesn't normally happen. And we know on mass it's causing heart inflammation, myocarditis. So 
There's that. There's fertility issues where many um, women, there's been a drop in the fertility rate in countries where, and it seems to have begun nine months after mass vaccination began. Um, and uh, seems potentially sperm count and perhaps on the women's side as well because um, we know um, there have been uh, widespread um, irregularities in um, menstrual cycles due to like post-vaccination. Um, the Orthodox Jewish community of uh, Brooklyn, they actually, um, the, all the rabbis had some counsel and they were all like, I, th I believe they decided to um, uh, uh, encourage or discourage the vaccination among their community because they were saying this is a threat to our future, um, you know, like uh, ability to sustain ourselves and continue our project of our, our, our society. You know? um, and so... Um, but again, you know, you've got to balance this out. It's not everyone who's having these problems. It seems to be a minority of people, but there is a serious number of problems. And um, this was, ab above everything else, this is what was been, has been censored, um, this information. And um, you call it like, a, you know, an anti-vaxxer or something. It's like, but you th think, okay, maybe someone's an anti-vaxxer or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's take it one step back. Are we still in high school? Doesn't the fact that someone is going to start calling names, resorting to labeling people in very simplistic ways and calling people names, that should be a red flag, I think, of like, maybe you don't actually know what you're talking about. Because usually people who, if you have lots of good reasons why someone's wrong, is your first thing to jump to to start just repeating one word at them? Or do you start explaining giddily, you know, excitedly explaining how they're wrong and getting out the juicy details? That's usually what people do who are in the right. And so when I, you know, when you hear someone uh, denigrating people and kind of character assassinating people and slurring people, I think it's kind of should be backfiring. Rightly, that should backfire in them where people should go, oh, okay, you're like probably uh, need to look into this more, but that's kind of a bit of a warning sign, you know. Um, normally people who have the facts on their side don't resort to name calling, resort to name calling. Um, and um, uh, ad hominem, attacking the man, ad hominem. It'd be, you know, you, you know, deal with the ideas, you know. Um, and uh, what's that thing? Great minds, or strong, Socrates, strong minds discuss ideas. Um, average minds discuss people, uh, no, discuss events. Uh, simple minds uh, or weak minds discuss people. Something like that, I think. So I think ad hominem's kind of on the lower end of that scale. Um, uh, so, yeah, okay. So, and, you know, there were, of course, like um, Johnson Johnson, I think, was withdrawn in the States because of heart, uh, um, no, what do you call it, uh, blood clotting? Or at least I think it was um, not recommended for people under 40 and then they made it under 50, I think. Also, AstraZeneca was removed, I think, for a similar reason. Um and uh, Moderna, I can't remember exactly, but there's these issues that have popped up. Again, look at Nawad, uh, uh, Majid Nawaz, his work, if you want. He, he's a you know, very, very intelligent man, very knowledgeable about this, and he lays it out very clearly, more than I could. So if you want the details, look into that. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, but back to Mike Yellen, right, the head of Pfizer thing. He was saying uh, not only, I mean, this is where like I have to be just fully honest, right? This, he says not only is it like, you know, seems like they were kind of encouraging, um, you know, like really after, you know, trying to sell the vaccine and all this. That's not so much his angle. That would be more like there's other people who could point that out, maybe clearer. Peter McCullough, for example, where it's like, well, there's all these other options. They didn't want to use them. Why not? They were suppressing them. Why? You know, 
doctors have been having their medical licenses re revoked because they were not, you know, towing the line. And or um, Dr. Simone Gold is in prison in the U United States because uh, she leads this uh, group called um, America's Frontline Doctors, who have been giving through Zoom. They've been giving um, consultations on how to deal with COVID, like how to treat it, um, and drugs that you can get. Um, you know, affordable drugs, you know, um, whether you're vaccinated or not, they've been doing this to people, you know, uh, offering this. And uh, legal help to people who have been like, oh, you can't go to university if you're not vaccinated. Well, it's my medical choice, you know, like I thought it was a free country. I feel like I, on balance, I don't, not, you know, don't want to do it. Like, no, you can't come, you can't work here or you can't go to school if you don't do this. There's all this coercion and people who have been um, at the receiving end of that, um, America's Frontline Doctors, I think have been offering legal help and they've been, They've definitely been using their legal um, branch or whatever to um, uh, sue different, you know, like schools directly saying you can't do this. And then I think in California they had some victories like that where schools were forced to drop the mandates, I think, and uh, other things like that. So she's been a thorn in the side of kind of whatever the powers that be that kind of want to bring in this mass vaccination thing and just one size fits all mentality. That's the thing. Someone said like, you know, uh, vaccines should be like, um, I mean – if it, even if there's a tiny chance um, of harms, that should make it voluntary because, you know, peanuts, we know a tiny percentage of people will die if you feed them peanuts. To mandate peanuts is a death sentence to a small number of the population. To mandate these things is a death sentence to a small number of the population if, if we know that there are these problems that can occur. And now we know, you know, so it seems like that's... But anyway, so Dr. Simone Gold is uh, now in prison because um, she, it seems a bit like... I don't know, but I mean, uh, I don't know the details of the case, but it, she was um, on, uh, I think she spoke from a gazebo at um, the US Capitol, like building near there, like on the, so I think, you know, the whole crowd had swelled forwards, you know, into the building, some of them went in, she didn't go in the building, although some journalists did, and they didn't get in trouble because they were on the right side or whatever, then other people have gone in, have been gotten in trouble now and fine. Um, and, you know, I don't think they should have been doing that thing. That's definitely not a good idea. But um, it does seem like, say, she didn't go in. She was just there, and but she went onto the site and she spoke and gave a speech about, you know, how basically, like, a lot of this stuff is has been fraudulent, deceitful, um, or else, you know, it's either mass incompetence or mass corruption or a combination of the both, of both of the two. And she was kind of making, I don't know the details of her speech, but she's talked about this before, um, and basically there's something which got censored where the White Coat Summit, where I think in 2021, was it, or 2020? I think 2021. Um, her and a bunch of other doctors in white coats, you know, the priesthoods, <laughs> you know, robes, which you go, oh, whatever you want, expert, you know what's right, you know. They kind of tap into that part of our brain, like that looks, oh, the priesthood, do what they want, you know. Um, the White Coats, um, they uh, went in front of, uh, I think, the Capitol building, yeah, and um, in 2021, right, so before all this, was this after this? Yeah, um, and uh, they uh, basically did a live thing which was streamed onto the internet of like all these doctors give, reading out their credentials and then saying, I have big concerns with the, the quote-unquote science that's being put forth by the government and the mainstream media and big tech and, the big, and big pharma and saying that actually, look, um, from their point of view, um, again, I don't know that uh, my intuition says that they're on the right side, but just to, in line with what we're doing today, um, I don't know that they're correct, right? But I feel like they are. But but they were saying um, that uh, yeah, there is all. It's been a dishonest narrative um, used for, and 
I think I don't know if they uh, inferred this explicitly, but I think some of them did. That you know, it's like corporate greed. There's there's greed and power, and then there's kind of road to hell paved with good intentions and just ignorance and mistakes uh, mixed in there. So you've got some people kind of intentionally making taking advantage of the situation. Other people just accidentally you know doing the wrong thing, but they think it's right. It's locked locked in an echo chamber or whatever. But that was their point of view, and that got censored and taken off the internet. Um, or taken down, I think it was off YouTube. Um, but then later on, you know, or whenever she was at the Capitol thing. Um, and so instead of finding her, she, uh, she's also a lawyer and a doctor. And she says, according to her, it's highly unusual to put someone in prison because of this. So and it seemed like she was being punished for like kind of encouraging this movement of questioning the, the mainstream on the topic of COVID. Anyway, so look, maybe she shouldn't have been there and maybe the punishment is correct. Maybe her, those doctors uh, don't know what they're talking about and spreading misinformation. I don't know. I think that seems unlikely based upon what I know. But I'll just lay that out there again. So we're all on the level. No need for judgment. We're just, the, the whole point of this thing is like just laying everything out next to each other, right, is very useful. So, all right. Um, what else there? Um, so, yeah, so Mike, right, okay. So Mike Yellen, head of global, uh, head of, you know, research for, Pfizer for respiratory illnesses. According to him, he's saying like the spike protein is the most toxic part of the uh, virus. And so you would have, um, and it's the most similar to, it's it's uh, quite similar, not very similar, but quite similar to many parts of human biology, like parts of the body. Um, and uh, it's um, there's a few other things he said, which is why the way they made the vaccines, in his opinion, was really bizarre and um, not going to be effective and likely to be make it toxic and make it a big problem. And so then uh, he kind of says, uh, if I, th I think basically, um, pretty sure, he, well, he basically says he thinks um, it was intentional. Um, and I don't really know what to make of that because that's pretty a pretty wild thing. If Pfizer had intentionally made it toxic, why the hell would they do that? Um, that seems kind of crazy. So, but just like, this is the thing I have to say it just to be honest, you know, so go look up that episode. I'm, um, I, you know, his main thing is just discussing the science and, you know, just to make it out there that, you know, there is toxicity in these things. Um, but, uh, then the, that is the thing he, he does say, he's like, unfortunately I'm forced to conclude that it was intentional because he had, they had all these different teams doing it and all the teams made the same. He's like, there's a mistake that no one would make. It's complete incompetence. No one would ever make those mistakes with the, the several mistakes, like using something similar to the human, you know, body, you know, things already in the human body, because then the immune system might attack the body itself. And then also using the spike protein, which is very toxic. So usually you'd use a less toxic version part of the virus, he was saying, I think. And there's a few things like that. So he's saying there's all these mistakes together, which is highly unusual that that would happen at such an, a professional level. Um, but then they had several teams doing it and they all made the same mistake. He's like, that just makes me think this must be intentional. This must be um, malicious, some sort of crazy, um, you know, for whatever reason, who knows. Now, that's pretty intense, uh, even to me, and I have a pretty open mind. So we'll set that aside. That's just to know that's something, you know, it's like the China thing. There's all these cr crazy things to be aware of. We don't need to make a conclusion, you know, just to be aware of them is enough, I think, that some people think these, um, especially when they're respectable people like Mike Yellen, you know. So, <clears throat> all right, what else? Uh, but yeah, and to reiterate, like, uh, it seems like people who have been vaccinated and who have problems with health problems or have been vaccinated and had no health problems, either way, 
it's important to be aware that there is good evidence that there is toxicity in these substances um, and also that they're not effect, very effective. So don't, I'm not giving medical advice, but some people would, are saying, you know, it's not a good di- idea to keep taking these things that they've kind of been shown to be not um, getting bang for your buck, you know, and um, <clears throat> that there's other ways to approach this. Um, and so, but, you know, I believe, you know, in general, there's so many ways to improve our health, which are really easy and very satisfying. So, that, you know, just balance that out there. Like, it's not like you're doomed or something, you know, or like, oh, you're, you're half the people thinking the unvaccinated are like plague rats. And then the other half thinking the vaccinated are like about to get depopulated by, you know, Bill Gates or something. And like, they're all, um, you know, uh, about to turn into zombies any day now or something, or like, or they're all like sullied and dirty because they've got this thing. That's all nonsense, right? We're all humans. We're all, there's all kinds of influences in our bodies. And, um, you know, um, many of my friends are vaccinated and um, many of my friends aren't vaccinated and it doesn't matter, you know, really. I think um, live and let live. And um, the fact is you could be vaccinated and have a bunch of health problems and then just take command of your health and start, you know, changing your diet, your exercise, doing the Wim Hof method, all these kinds of things. Some people even talk about ways to kind of counteract certain of the specific things that have come in from the virus because for example spike protein spreading all over the body which was not meant to happen but turns out that it kind of spread all over and it accumulates in the ovaries accumulates in the brain sometimes um but it seems like that's like a temp a thing that the body can flush out but if you don't keep getting boosted you know so and the body can process these things and there's a lot of things you can do to detox and to help your body um clear out dead cells etc like intermittent fasting for example where you eat just as much food as you normally do but eat it in an eight hour window the other 16 hours of the day, so eight hours when you're sleeping, say, and then eight hours when you're awake, um, don't eat, just drink water, you know, and uh, that, that uh, because your body's not digesting anything, it's got all this extra energy to do other things, and it, um, it, there's increased cell senescence, like clearing out of dead cells, um, so you can kind of get pro, you know, improve your health that way. So if you have health problems or if you're vaccinated and you're a bit worried, like, oh, my God, this information's intense, uh, you can start just taking care of your health more, and you're going to be more healthy than unvaccinated people who are just eating pizza and, you know, drinking too much beer or whatever. So, you know, I think none of this needs to be doom and gloom. You know, so many paths. Everyone can be healthy. And that's the thing Wim always says. Everyone can be happy, healthy, and strong. Um, and I, th- I think that makes sense, you know. Um, maybe there's a small number of people who, like, you know, certain problems you couldn't get over um, if there's some sort of crazy rare genetic condition where, you, you know, something in your body is just not working, you know. But like for the vast majority of people, I think, yeah, like we have this opportunity for health um, and it's much easier than you might think. And um, perhaps some of the lower, um, no judgment again, but some of the lower um, impulses of primal emotions and um, tribalism might be allowing certain people to think that it's justifiable to kind of squash these effective healing modalities just because it helps their bottom line. And um, like, hey, man, just being, just, it's just business. It's not personal. Just like, the kind of people who operate in the mafia, you know, they're real, right? Some of them also operate in business, those kinds of people, you know. And um, so it seems like there could be some element of that. And they're still our brothers and sisters. They still deserve love. They're still normal people. I'm sure they still love their families. The family, you know, but maybe not the other families as much. Um, and then you have a, a bunch of other people who just like um, are doing their best, but maybe aren't always aware of what's right or wrong who is right um and so we have these situations where these uh we've got these um a bunch of people have been um a billion people have been given these vaccines and um it seems like there's good reason to think that um a significant minority 
have died or been injured, serious injuries, whether it's strokes, myocarditis, um, a lot of, you know, football players suddenly dying on the field. And it's like um, Alex Berenson, like this journalist, and a bunch of other people have made the case that that seems to be um, probably connected to this mass vaccination program. Um, again, not that most people are dying or getting hurt, but that, especially with people who are really pushing their bodies to the limits, um, you will see a certain minor, small minority where some of these crazy events will happen because some of these substances are more toxic than we realized. Um, so, um, but again, yeah, positivity. It's all good. We can move forward with this, you know, and be fine. Um, but uh, so what else is there to mention, to be conscious of about the COVID era? So we kind of talked about the vaccines. Now they're bringing out, I think, some um, pill uh, for COVID. I can't remember what it's called. So there's that, you know, and then I think they've, um, they get the developing these other vaccine for like Omicron or whatever, like the variant that's, you know, kind of an ex uh, vaccine is escape um, variant or whatever. Like it, the vaccines aren't effective against Omicron at all because it's too different. Um, and uh, kind of makes sense if you give everyone this vaccine and the virus is like, okay. And so the, the versions that mutate that aren't um, covered by the vaccine are going to suddenly flourish, you know. And so that seems to be what's happened. And basically, it's all Omicron. But Omicron seems to be uh, less, far less uh, dangerous than the original version. And the original version was already, look, probably made in the lab. So maybe there's a wild card of, okay, maybe that's not some just normal like cold or whatever. Maybe we need to be careful to try to avoid it if we can. But still, the death rates seem to be similar to the flu. Um, uh, but uh, the, Omicron seems to be even milder, right? So, but nonetheless... Uh, the original vaccine's not effective against it, as far as I understand it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, like, um, we all know so many people who have been vaccinated and then they, they catch COVID. Again, Fauci, what, double vaccinated, I think he got, did he get it twice, was it? Or, like, Biden, all these people, you know. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, so this seems to be a thing. But um, but I think, you know, the future of it would be, like, you know, there's these... Uh, other drugs you can use, which Peter McCullough and his team and all those people are kind of putting forward. And then um, maybe this new drug would do something good. Um, but in general, there's so many ways where I think, you know, look within for health, you know, like we don't need someone outside us. And that's been a big thing. I think that the COVID era has taught a lot of people is that um, the need to be self-sufficient and the benefit and the, the lack of need to be, you know, kind of depending so much on others all the time, like just assuming people are telling you the truth. It's like, that's not always the case, you know, and uh, it doesn't make you crazy to to be um, to question whether other people are always telling you the truth or not. Um, you know, it's very healthy, and uh, you know, it's normal. You know, um, and uh, that was another thing—the new normal. That was another of the cultish words, wasn't it? Um, but uh, so, yeah, and uh, all right. So we got that, um, and you know, I think look, there's been kind of like. For example, in Ireland, because um, I'm not vaccinated, right? Um, uh, I, uh, you know, I thought, okay, it doesn't seem to make sense. From what I understand, these things are meant, to, meant to take 10 to 15 years. There's been one year just on that basis, even if there's no, you know, as I, I'm not into it. I'm not, you know, going to do it. Um, and I just try to take care of my own health. So in general, I'm very healthy, you know, do exercise, I eat good food, usually. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, so do my best to do that and be a friendly person, help people, be a respectful person, um, self-sufficient person so that I can be a good influence on others and 
you know, we can have a, we'll all be healthy and strong and happy together and we can be strong and fight off diseases or whatever. Um, I don't need this vaccine. That was my thought. Um, but for a long time here, apart from all the, you know, there's a kind of vilification and demonization of the unvaccinated, like the, some second class citizens, you're causing other people to die. Never mention that the people saying this aren't telling people about vitamin D and sleep and all these things. There's an obvious hypocrisy there. Um, but uh, where you're saying you're causing deaths by not getting vaccinated. But if you get vaccinated, isn't the whole point that you're protected? I should get it because it's going to protect me. But then other people aren't protected if I don't get it? Explain that. That doesn't seem to make sense. Does it? Let me know in the comments. Does that make sense? I don't see how it does. Um, but uh, nonetheless, um, you know, I think I try to just approach it with humor and go, okay, this is just the way it is, you know. But um, I uh, there's all these kind of things where a lot of people are like, well, I, did, I thought it was kind of nonsense, but I just took it because I wanted to get into the pub and you had to have the, the vaccine to get into the pub. And a lot of people said things like this or to travel. But I thought for me, I just, you know, I think, oh, I'm going to stick by that principle, you know, that I've, my principles. Um, but, uh, but yeah, eventually. So that was a kind of um, another thing. A lot of people, uh, I didn't have it that bad because my job wasn't put, um, wasn't threatened by it. But um, like, yeah, I, you know, say I wasn't able to travel or uh, enter uh, restaurants or pubs and things. But me and my friends would just play music outside the pubs and sing songs about the vaccine or whatever, um, just having fun, you know. But uh but I think, yeah, there's a lot of people who, the people who have been forced into taking it and then um, got injuries, you know, some people, again, minority of people, but and then other people who take took it and then maybe it helps them. Maybe they're older people, maybe it helps them, you know, um, um, stay healthy, you know. But I think, uh, I hope, you know, we can kind of uh, agree that um, maybe this, the way that all this went wasn't so balanced and wasn't so rational for whatever reason, um, and it wasn't so healthy the way we did it, and that whenever, if, if some other situation arises in the future, that we can kind of deal with it, um, the greater awareness of the need for individual liberty, the need for conversation and not censorship and tabooing things, but to keep um, information flowing, because a lot of people might do implement these things thinking it's good, and they're just unaware that there's all this information being censored that they're not aware of, um, and then they might they might even tell the go um, the government might even tell like media to censor certain things because they think it's the right thing to do, but then they might realize that because they'd already been censoring the media a little bit or the media had self censored or whatever, um, that they were already missing something huge which would make them change their mind and they wouldn't say yeah censor that maybe if there was something they they weren't aware of because it had been hidden that if they knew it they would go oh no 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 let's not send that email to the the media or let's not kind of hint about these things you know so um i think in the future yeah more op open communication is very important and um oh yeah another thing i didn't mention before about self-censorship is just the fear i think a lot of people sensed that this wasn't just mass ignorance that there was an element of um malice and um domination and a, basically a power grab a coup d'etat and um, that's a pretty wild claim and i don't say i know that that's true but if you ask me, I'll be honest with you, I think that's more likely than not. I think a small group of people did um, either make use of this crisis or create this crisis in order to um, get more power. And um, you know, anyone who understands the history of, like, say, the war on terror, um, the war on drugs, um, 
the general growth of the state um, and, you know, how the government's become more and more uh, involved in our lives. You know, like, look up, uh, what's the name? Uh, what's his name? Something Rousseau, um, Mike Rousseau or whatever. Um, mad as hell. You know, the, the things he was talking about back in the 90s about what was happening with the growth of kind of totalitarianism. Well, maybe not totalitarianism, but like um, the growth of uh, dictatorial powers of the federal government of the United States. Um, and you look at Edward Snowden revelations of how, you know, they've been spying on the world. There's a lot of things where a lot of people were already kind of aware that there's something, there's some poison in the well and there was, there was some foxes near the hen house. And um, I think at first a lot of us gave the benefit of the doubt, assuming that this was all good and got swept up in it, but then started to see like, oh, wait a minute, things aren't making sense. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they talk about vitamin D? Why wouldn't they do this? Um, and why are the, vaccin the vaccinated um, are meant to be protected? So why, if everyone just gets vaccinated who wants to be, then why can't just the unvaccinated go into restaurants as well? Why? Because if you're protected, then what, what harm could there be? You just be, if you're not, if you get sick or, and you're unvaccinated, then it's just, okay, well, we told you. So that's your response. It's your fault. You know, um, why aren't we preventing them? It almost seems like it's pressuring them into getting vaccinated, which is what I think Fauci, was it Fauci or someone else, some high ranking official said that kind of recently. I think Fauci saying, um, you know, the lockdowns were kind of intended to encourage vaccination, which is absolutely wrong, right? It's not right. So, um, but it seems to be what happened. Um, it does kind of make sense. Um, and it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to think that people who think that they know better than others might want to do that for the greater good, quote unquote. Um, and uh, also... Things that, other things that didn't make sense as well, like uh, in restaurants, like the staff wear masks, or you wear a mask when you go in. If you don't, then people go, oh my God, what are you doing? You know, But then you sit down and you take off your mask and you eat. And it's like, oh yeah, it's like a fire. You know, The COVID's only just floating up above. But if you crouch, what if I crouch and I kind of like, you know, I crawl into the room without a mask? Would that be fine? Would that be safe? I'm like huffing and, you know, but I'm, I'm below the COVID uh, cloud, you know? So things which didn't quite make sense. Um, but potentially makes sense if what was really going on is um, this was about control, social change, and using uh, also trauma. Um, trauma, the mind is more malleable. Um, there's greater, as I understand it, um, neuroplasticity, like rechanging, rerouting like the, the pathways of the mind and the way I kind of process information and think about things. Uh, uh, neuroplasticity is greater during trauma. Um, cause I guess something serious has come in. So you're able to rewire yourself to adapt. Um, and it seems like there's a lot of trauma encouraged. Meanwhile, a lot of social programming seems to have been putting forth through the media. So there's a reasonable case. I think at least, even if you don't think it's true, it's good to be aware that some people are making this case and that you need to be ready for that. If you're going to have a conversation with someone and what are you going to say to that? If you disagree, can you prove them wrong? You know, is there something they're missing? You know? But that is the case people make. Why do some people think there's some sort of grand conspiracy um, and that there's some sort of power grab? Well, because a lot of things don't make sense on their own. It seems very contradictory. Um, and then it does kind of, it is interesting that Pfizer, for example, normally make a billion dollars a year on a new product if it's very good. That would be very successful. And they made, I think, 33 billion, 30 or 33 billion in 2021 and like 2022, I think the same. Um, now would be less because people aren't taking it, right? But um, 
and that that was without any um, marketing because everyone was just going to take it from the government. That was done, um, and uh, without any, they were indemnified from damages. If you hurt people, the taxpayers will foot the bill. Um, so, you know, like they can do it even more quickly and more more cheaply because they don't need to be so careful about doing it longer with a, a large number of p- test subjects and more diligently checking things. So um, that's you know a huge amount of money. How much? What's What's the largest amount of money you've ever had? Is it 30 billion? <laughs> it's a huge number amount of money. It's crazy, you know? And um, that was on the table. And then there's all this other money from the lockdowns and things. But um, I think, do you think some people are so selfish and ambitious um, uh, that, you know, like the, the, the greatest paragons of, quote-unquote capitalist greed, although normally I think capitalism is quite beautiful, but crony capitalism, where you're coordinating with the government and controlling things and regulations to make yourself money, that's terrible. I agree. That's like fascism, essentially, crony capitalism. Um, you know, Marriage between big corporations and the state rather than fair competition on the open market and people who don't want your services, they don't give you money, and that's that. Um, but the greatest paragons of capitalist greed is, do you think there's people so selfish and ambitious that they would be willing to hurt millions of people in order to help themselves, their family, and their social circle? Or do you think those kinds of people aren't on the planet? Because if so, then why? where do all the wars come from? Where does all the corruption around the world come from? Where does all the history of, like, um, where does the mafia come from? If those people don't exist, explain all those other things. So it seems like those people do exist, and why wouldn't they try to climb? They're like, oh, I can go to the, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, you know, uh, I don't know, what are we going to call them? Um, uh, Carl, <laughs> uh, you, you can go into the mafia. You could go into, you know, um, uh, government. You can go into a big corporate world, uh, you know, um, but uh, it's something where you're going to make a lot of money and power and influence, have influence and status, you know. What do you want to do? I think there's certain families and there's certain individuals who would be, like, aiming for just, like, power and money and that's all they care about, you know. And I think we should have compassion for those people, really, even if we need to take steps to defend ourselves and those we love and the world from them. Because those people, I think, only do that if they're deep down in such a state of disconnection from their soul and from love. And they're probably deep down terrified of death and terrified of um, like uh, not being enough or maybe they're not terrified, but I don't know. I think probably because I think, I think you have to be in a dream state. If you're not, if you're disconnected from love, I think you're not aware of who you are and you're probably terrified that you are not real or terrified that you're not who you think you are terrified. You're not in control. And you know, the ego is never in control really. So whereas love is kind of this awareness that, yeah, you're not in control, but you are because you were everything. You're kind of connected to everyone. Um, and it's kind of humbling, and you have to let yourself go, you know, kind of let yourself disappear sort of into the crowd, um, but then you gain the world, you know. So I think we should have compassion for those people. Um, and I think they are there, and I think more likely than not, they played a role in this whole thing, um, some of those people. And um, not, the, not the whole thing, but I think most of it was just well-meaning people or people who didn't understand what was going on. People were trying their best but making mistakes. But it seems like there's a good case. Again, I don't know. It's totally possible that they're, they're not. I, and I'm just lacking certain information which explains it. But it seems like, from what I understand now, 
the most likely explanation, more than 50% likely, would be there was certain um, you know, malicious, corrupt individuals using this to get billions of dollars and a lot of power over people. Um, and you, know, you look at the World Health Organization saying, yeah, we need a treaty, a global treaty, where we can declare emergencies. And, you know, it's like they're declaring monkeypox an emergency and it's like 95% of cases are homosexual men having unprotected sex. And you get like a blisters and then they go away. There's no deaths. How is that? And their own World Health Organization's own um, committee investigating it said, no, we wouldn't recommend making it an emergency. And then the, his, the superiors did it anyway. And then Biden made it an emergency. And it's like, what, what's going on? Like, you know, or um, just very bizarre. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, so, and then you have the whole thing of the World Health Organization, um, no, sorry, the uh, WEF, the World Economic Forum, the WEF, as the Dutch call them, who um, a lot of people have become more aware of, um, you know, because of the pandemic, whereby they've been talking about the Great Reset and this thing of, oh, we need to use the pandemic to, uh, it's a great opportunity to reset the global economy so that basically, in a nutshell, moving towards where rather than, um, basically corporations um, and bureaucrats, unelected experts who are very smart and knowledgeable and know a lot about these things, will manage the world for the benefit of the environment, the economy, to avoid economic crashes and global health. We're going to have these experts manage everything. Um, that doesn't really sound like democracy. That doesn't really sound like uh, the traditional values of Western civilization, which, look, black and white, Western civilization is not perfect. But why does everyone want to come here? There's prosperity and respect in general, respect for the rule of law, and less corrupt corruption in general. Property rights in general are respected. They can't, can't, the government can't come and just take your stuff like they can in China or corrupt countries, you know. Um, there is for sure corruption where like, you know, very wealthy people, there's one rule of law for us, one rule of law for them. People who seem to do, break the law and nothing happens to them. You know, executives in Big Pharma, for example, um, are fined. The company is fined huge amounts of money. But then the individuals, even though they've killed lots of people intentionally, like, not like, you know, they're like, oh, it's fraud. We know it's going to kill a bunch of people, but we'll make more money. Okay, we'll do it anyway. That's happened a few times. Um, none of them get sent to prison. It's just the company pays, companies made 10 billion and they pay 5 billion in a fine or 1 billion, whatever. Um, so even the company's making a profit off that. So, you know, there's obviously one rule of law for the very wealthy, which is, you know, so that does happen in the West. But the traditional, in general, the West is a place that still respects this idea of freedom and liberty and that you have all the rights unless um, they are stipulated in law as you're not having them. And they will only happen if um, it's basically, as John Stuart Mill said in On Liberty, basically um, you can do anything you want so long as you're not harming others. We can all do anything we want so long as we're not harming others. When we start, when there's conflicts, um, that's where the law comes in and it's brought to a law and the, to a court and there's a, in common law, English common law, it'd be, there's a, a case, there's what, you know, it's gone to America and the, the Anglophone world in general, right? Um, and even Dubai has adopted this recently because they think it's very effective for many things, including business. Um, and they seem to have been flourishing due to that, like becoming more of an investment center. Um, uh, that, um, but English, uh, the British common law, you know, if there's a conflict between people's freedoms, then that goes to court and 
uh, there's a, a ruling and they say, okay, based on the facts, this is the relevant legal principles and this is the answer. Okay, and so the, the, the conflict's resolved, but it creates a precedent. So if another situation appears, they look to that and they follow it. However, um, you can appeal to a higher court and then they can say, they might say, yeah, actually, this isn't exactly the same situation. And they might say, yeah, okay, no, overturn the decision. Or they might say, you know, that previous decision was wrong. That shouldn't be the precedent. And so you've got a hierarchy of more, more experts. If needed, the conflict is raised to a higher level of expert. But they themselves are kind of born out of this network of courts. And it goes up and up. And so you have this hierarchy where decentralized decision-making is kind of resolving conflicts. And, but the people have all the freedom unless it's ne necessary to take one or two away via these kind of precedents of law. Um, and so that doesn't seem like what this World Economic Forum kind of thing is all about. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at, um, there's a lot of shadowy stuff where they've been, you know, he's on, Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, is on tape, you can look at it on the internet, um, saying how they've penetrated uh, cabinets around the world, including Justin Trudeau, half his cabinet, he said, was, you know, kind of former uh, young global leaders of the World Economic Forum, or like kind of like people who, you know, had some connection with them. Um, seems like a conflict of interest, but yeah, that's just me. Um, and uh, Macron in France, and even said Putin, even was a f former young global leader. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, all these kind of strange things like this, where it's like, okay. Um, and all these governments are doing things which are in, in line with what the World Economic Forum kind of wants with this kind of increasing centralization and bureaucratization of society. Um, and they kind of say the Great Reset is largely, there's this thing, this video they had, you will own nothing and you will be happy. <laughs> and um, just crazy, like, and, uh, but that's a real thing, you know? And uh, the idea is they're saying, yeah, kind of advocating, uh, you know, the idea of that we'll all, we won't own things, you'll rent things, and that that'll be better, you know, more efficient. Who are we renting it from? Is it the government or is it big corporations? Are you giving up all your money, Klaus Schwab? Let us know. Somehow I doubt it. Um, and, uh, you know, and if it was the state, isn't that just communism? Like, are we doing that? Like, uh, or, uh, or kind of fascism, or kind of communism, but, um, and, you know, who would, we were serious that people wouldn't essentially just turn that into a monarchy. Someone would just take control of it and just, it'd be just a, you know, a, to a dictatorship, you know, the whole idea, beauty of our system. And this has been spread around the world. Um, and I think the United Nations like task force figured this out or, or like uh, Bjorn Lomberg's work, you know, when he's dealing with, um, and, uh, and I think Matt Ridley and, um, Marion Tupi, these kind of people who have been like working on, um, how to deal with like, uh, among other things, how to deal with, um, climate change and you know that kind of thing where it's all this alarmism of like, oh we have to give up all of our power let people starve you know stop using so much energy which will cause people to starve because cheap energy means you can work more if you raise the price of energy you're raising the price uh you're basically energy can be transferred into work so you're, you're making it harder for people to um uh, basically work and make money and have livelihood and so um they admit a lot of these people that it's going to cause you know mass um poverty and you know bunch of people are going to die um uh but that that's worth it for, for the future of climate change or protecting things but you've got people doing this and th then these kind of people like you know uh, beyond long work etc their their point is that actually no no that's backwards like you need to make people wealthier you make the poorest people wealthier and that's how you improve the environment and that 
you know, they'll stop burning plastic and burning wood and stuff and like they'll be more efficient. And once they've got a basic ele- uh, level of um, economic ind- financial independence, they'll start naturally, people start thinking about the environment more. Richer people think about the environment, which is why, you know, we're even talking about it, you know, because we're wealthy enough to think about it. Um, uh, and poor people, if you make them richer, they will start thinking more about, okay, I've got my basic needs for me and my family dealt with. The river is polluted, though. I never noticed that when I was just struggling to find to fill my belly. But the river is polluted. Maybe we could do something about that. You, the problem-solving nature of the mind, which is why we're all so many people have depression and anxiety. I think a big part is just the mind's constantly looking for problems, and it say there's no problems. You'll find problems. You know, that's one part of it. Um, but then um, that would start to they'll start to take care of the environment, and this is what they found. The um, their research and the UN, um, I think, uh, like a research committee for the like the thousand millennium goals whatever the progress report on that was kind of concluded that as well i think that um basically like childhood nutrition and just getting um the poorest people wealthier that is how you actually combat climate change you know and not just climate change but general ecological health for the planet um and so that's totally against what this world economic forum thing is all about and all i won't go into detail there but that's something where people kind of think, okay, was that part of the impetus for this thing? Was this kind of encouraged or created for some sort of societal shift by people who felt that maybe by their own stated goals, they clearly believe that experts are better at running the world. So would they, would that, those kind of people be willing to create some sort of necessary um, crisis in order to bring that in? I don't know. I don't know that it's impossible though. Do you, you know? Like, um, let's set them both there. You know, there's two sides. Some people would say, no, they're just um, trying to look at, like, a way to improve the, the world. And, you know, the, there's been this crisis and they think there's a way. Innocent enough, you know. The Dutch farmers who um, are being targeted by, um, and there's mass process in the Netherlands, and in many countries now, I think in Spain and Italy um, and France also, and, you know, there's all kinds of protests uh, expanding now. But like in the Netherlands, a bunch of farmers, and they're the second most, I won't go into detail, but the, the second most um, productive country in the world of agriculture, of food for the world, and they're a tiny country. It's crazy. Um, they're being, a lot of them are being uprooted, and people are trying to get them off, the government's trying to kick them off the land, basically, saying, you know, oh, you contribute too much to climate change. But meanwhile, they're providing all this food, which we just said, making people wealthier, helping people grow, that's what really fixes the planet, the health. They're trying to get the most, some of the most efficient farmers off the land. And the, the pr- uh, prime minister is like a protege of Klaus Schwab. He's from this World Economic Forum kind of milieu. So it seems like this kind of this cloak and dagger thing's going on. Now, again, I pr- confess my ignorance. I don't know what's going on. But this is something to mention, something you should be aware of, something I would be remiss of me not to mention in the context of this COVID and consciousness thing. This crisis, where did it come from? Where is it going? You know? Um, but who knows there, right? Um, and then uh, another thing to mention is it's apparently there's a famine coming. Apparently there's a global famine coming. Um, and that um, maybe the wealthier countries will be fine, more or less, but like um, it's estimated that between 100 and a billion people uh, in the poorest countries are going to be in extreme food scarcity this winter. And um, a lot of them are going to die. And uh, that um, I don't know. That's true, but that's what I've heard from several uh, people who seem to be experts. And so, um, and seemingly, where has this come from? Given that we're more productive than ever, as like Marion Tupi's work has shown, like famines, he was saying in a podcast last year or something, 
should be, you know, just a thing where the problem will be obesity more like, you know, rather than famines won't be a thing. But famines come when governments make terrible decisions. Um, so we have both the COVID thing, the lockdowns cause in incredible uh, supply chain disruptions. Another reason about self-sufficiency, another like even nationally being self-sufficient from, from say China, needing to get us stuff from there. If we can manufacture stuff ourselves, we'll be, it's more, we need to do that more to some extent for sure. But then also personally self-sufficient. But back to this. So um, supply chain um, disruptions cause massive increases in prices, harder to get things, you know, um, and then uh, and there's still massive backlogs in all the ports around the world. And um, so big problem. Um, and so that seems to be disrupting the food uh, situation. But then also, and a lot of the production in countries where people, a lot of the food production was hampered by the COVID thing. Um, and then uh, also you have um, the uh, the war in Ukraine where they produce a huge amount of wheat and agricultural output um, and Russia also. And Russia um, produces a huge amount of fertilizers that we are needed all around the world. And so because of the war, either things aren't being made or um, they're not being traded because of there's these sanctions and things. And so it seems like there, yeah, there is some huge food crisis coming. So not to scare you, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, that seems to be part, yeah, a thing that's coming and it seems to be partly re the result of like all these supply chain problems which began with COVID and, and not really with COVID, but with the lockdowns, you know, another effect of that. Um, and then you could even say the war. I mean, so much tension. I, I really intuitively, I don't know, but I wonder, like, um, I feel like perhaps the war in Ukraine and like these massive riots in America, um, things like this, it is people at the end of the day. It all comes down to one person making a decision. Do I sign the thing that, do I sign the order? Do I give the order or whatever? Um, whether that's Putin telling people to go to war, whether it's smaller people going, mm, do we move into this area or not? There might be civilians there. Do we do it or... Um, it all, they're all, it's all people, just like you and me, human beings, babies who grew up. And our state of tension or relaxation alters our ability to um, access common sense and an understanding of consciousness and conscience. Uh, and so I do wonder if COVID is also partly responsible for this war or maybe it wouldn't have happened if the whole, you know, the people hadn't been put under this intense psychological um, physical, um, uh, economic, um, you know, and cultural stress, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Let's see. Uh, what else is there to mention? Um, so we've, I think we've kind of talked about a lot of the stuff. Um, and yeah. Uh, so, I guess. That would be, uh, yeah, that's a lot. We've, I think we've gone through, but I hope I've been able to provide, you know, fairly balanced perspective. Obviously, I have my opinions, okay, but I'm trying to keep out of my own way, yeah, um, and just provide both sides of it because I understand that not everyone thinks like me, and I don't want everyone to think like me. I think it's it's good, just like in a friend group, it's good if everyone's not a clone of each other. If everyone's a bit different, and then you can kind of bring it, draw out different aspects of each other, and kind of create the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, and music, same thing. You don't want people playing, even if you're playing different melodies, right? So you've got these harmonies. It's better if one's bass, one's acoustic guitar, one's electric guitar, one's like a, a keyboard. That just makes it more interesting, these different tones. So I think with friends, um, with uh, 
aspects of your own personality, you know, just seeing things from both sides, inside your own head, being different versions of yourself, kind of, which is another good reason to be around friends, um, and have that diversity of your own character um, and your own friend group. And then uh, also as a society, you know, like uh, having di people who have different opinions, you know, it's vital and it's very uh, enriching, I think. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, uh, that's it. I think it, it's very useful if we can all kind of just try to take on board and, and be conscious of to the, as much as possible before we make the step of conclu making conclusions, just to get all the information first. Like any good person, you know, in the government, a bureaucrat or, you know, a business person in a business or um, someone who's, you know, working in a spiritual or religious organization or, or like an NGO or in a family or whatever it is, um, you get all the information together first. You research, you get all the information. Okay, do I have everything together? Because I might draw some conclusions with these things and then you give me one extra document and I go, oh, I need to start all over again. This changes three of the 15 page things I have here. So you need it all together and then, okay, and then you go through it. You kind of put them all side by side. Okay. And then you kind of reflect and you might go sleep on it, <laughs> you know, and you let kind of let it integrate and you kind of, mm, okay. And then um, you can start to draw notice patterns, draw potential conclusions. Okay. Then you have maybe three different versions of what might be going on and what might be the problem and what might be the solution. Put them, put them next to each other, kind of like mm, maybe go sleep on it again, go integrate it mm, and kind of think, you know, all right, which of these is really most, uh, you know, close to reality and uh, wisdom, you know? And uh, so that's, I think, what, you know, the COVID thing, I think it's an invitation. It's such an intense situation we're in and well, it's kind of mostly over, but still here to some extent, like there's still, you know, like in beautiful parks, you still have social distancing, you know, like scary little signs and stuff. And it's like, why is that still up here? Like that's putting out bad vibes, you know, it's not good for us. Um, or like, you know, in cafes, some of them still have these screens up, which is very, or like, you know, in big stores, it's like, you know, minority report, futuristic, weird kind of vibes of like these plastic screens everywhere, even though, um, we know that that's, you know, not doing any benefit, you know, like, uh, if, even if the virus was dangerous, that wouldn't be helping. Um, and the virus, you know, and by dangerous, I mean like a more than like the level of a flu or something, which we never did these things for before. Right screens and things for the flu we didn't do um so that's still lingering to some extent and still in, i think in our hearts and i think still a lot of people there's this sense of detachment from other people and maybe even detachment from ourselves if we have allowed ourselves to believe in things which deep down we actually knew doesn't quite make sense but for various reasons for love of other people maybe wanted to keep a relationship with people or um for fear of people for people pleasing uh, for um, admiration for certain people and wanting to fit in with them because you think they're cool, but maybe they're just wrong on this thing, but you didn't allow yourself to see it. All kinds of reasons we might be out of touch with our intuition and what we deep down know. Um, and so I think that's, that's here and, you know, and, you know, with people interactions. So um, I think that lives on and that's something we uh, kind of still processing, but um and, you know, a lot of the governments, I think, still have the powers, the emergency powers um, that they were given. And definitely the kind of precedent has been set. So it's always, it, I think a lot of people are still kind of aware, like looking over their shoulder, like is something else coming down the pipeline? Um, more authoritarianism. And um, so I think 
you know, it's one reason to maybe resist any attempts, become educated about and resist any attempts to curtail our freedoms in the name of some utopian protecting the planet or something or improving corporations or whatever through some sort of central planning, unelected bureaucrat nightmare, um, which actually is going to make a bunch of the poorest people poorer and then destroy, you know, further damage the environment and cause more of a crackdown and just unnecessary, insane conflict um, rather than just expanding um, freedom and free markets to increase prosperity and um, peace and um, thereby lifting up the poorest people and thereby making people more conscious and thereby healing the planet um, naturally. So, um, yeah. So I think this, like, COVID, at the end of the day, to bring this to a close, it's like, it's been an invitation to consciousness, I think. Thank you. And good luck being you. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs>